You were listening to episode 237 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, on Facebook Memories this week, this week, a couple weeks ago, we had a flashback from episode 24 and we uh, got a little voice clip from that. Oh, Victor Dandridge is here, by the way. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. going to gloss over that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Rude, but fine. Shut up. We, I, I, I was listening to that, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it's lit toilet. I think God. we peaked at episode 24, and I think the rest of this, I haven't been able to stop thinking about that How joke. do I get him to stop talking? It's lit Sean, him down the toilet. toilet. Sean, if I knew, we'd be in a much better place. Guys, wow. toilet. That's so unfunny. This was so my anyway. joke, and I don't want to hear it. Let's. Uh, anyways, <laughs> we. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this joke sounds like the shit. I'm just telling you. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> it's kind Thank of. you. Yeah. All right, Victor, just yeah. save it for me. All right. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back in. <laughs> See that? That is why. We have Victor Dandridge on the show today, not because of the amazing comics he produces, <laughs> not because he's the CEO of Vantage and House Productions, not because he is the hardest working man in comics, not because he's a teacher, not because he works with Wizard World, n- n- none of that. It's because he's also one of the funniest men in comics, as it turns out. That's true. That's <laughs> Thank true. you. Thank you. Can confirm. Thank you. Always adding to the resume. Thank you so much for joining us, Victor. How are you doing? Literal pleasure. Um, as I was saying before we started recording, I miss you guys so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, but there's there's that that hole, right? That hole of comicdom being around fellow geeks and and chatting it up. And you guys especially have have been a part of that uh that space, that community for me. So um, I miss you guys. Like, how have y'all been? That's the question. We've been good trucking along, you know, doing this, doing this podcast thing. Of course. Um, and, you know, obviously for us, the, the convention circuit's a big deal. Right. And, you know, we haven't seen each other in wow. over a year at this point. We got yeah, to I see mean, the boys. Oh, over a year. That must be nice. <laughs> well, yeah. Kale I mean, lives in Europe, so. I, was I don't thinking- live in Europe. Oh, so where do you live? England. They that left, remember? Is- <laughs> I mean... It it's still in the continental. I don't know if England feels that way anymore. They just it's not part of the continental. Okay, all right. So anyway, you know how dope that is though. England is like, yo, we're gonna we're gonna all get together. We're gonna call it the United Kingdom. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and they're like, nah, fuck this. We don't like you guys. We're gonna be our own thing. We're gonna be united. (laughs) Yeah, you guys wanna be united? Nah. We're going to press out of here. We're out. Just, just wait. The rest of it's going to do the same thing. They won't wow. even be the United Kingdom anymore. Jeez. It's just the kingdom. I've seen that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're, we're going we're gonna to talk to Victor about all manner of things. We're going to talk about his books that he's got. We're going to talk about the Samaritan and the huge milestone that that book is celebrating. Thank and you. We're going to talk about, you know, whether or not you can expect to see him at a con in your future. Um, before that, we've got to take care of a little bit of business. So hopefully, Vic, you will excuse me. Hey, listen, wow. I get it. <laughs> we let everyone uh, listening know 
where you can find us, of course, all over the internet. Thank you for listening. We are the Comics Pals. Wherever you're listening to us, make sure that you leave us a rating and a review and a follow on any podcast hosting platform. If you happen to be listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. This podcast drops every single Monday, so make sure that you are checking for us whenever we come out. Uh, We've got book reviews that drop every single weekend for you guys and image reviews that drop every Wednesday day and date. So check this out this week. We are doing Geiger number two, silver coin number two and time before time. Number one, all great books. Go check out our reviews of that. Uh, We do. We watch every single week. We just did Falcon winter soldier and invincible. We're going to ask Vic a little bit later about his opinions on those things, because we know he's a geek too. Uh, And we did our review for Jupiter's Legacy Episode 1 from Netflix. So go check that out as well. We really enjoyed the show to varying degrees. Uh, And if you want us to review the rest of it as a part of our WeWatch series, go right in and let us know if you are interested in that. Without further ado, let's talk to the man himself. So, Victor, obviously it's been a year, right? right? It's been a weird year. Mm. Uh, What has your experience been like everybody's got a different journey throughout this past year obviously you are a big convention guy it's a big part of you know what you do so how have you had to kind of adapt and change during this time and that's such a great question um you're right because i basically live on the convention circuit right like whether that was working with wizard world or going to read pop shows or anyone else um i i lived on that that tour Um, So not having conventions was a very strange thing. Uh, The last show that I actually did was uh, C2E2. And it was right before things started to shut down. And it was it was good that I had that to kind of, you know, carry me through because it was a great experience, um, you know, great times. But, you know, we had no idea what was coming. Um, Fortunately for me, what I've been able to do is um, kind of pivot into the virtual con space um you know redid a few different you know metaverse events that i was a part of which was fantastic i got to work with some i mean amazing people um both on the us based uh repop side and the international based one um so i worked with some of the folks over in london which was which was amazing they were um you know just a, a pleasure to work with but then started to do more things with uh wizard world who was getting like really entrenched in the virtual space so i was able to kind of you know pivot in that way of taking um my presence at conventions and still doing it but on a virtual stage so there's been you know big shows premiere shows regional shows shout out to jim city um that was definitely one that i did some work with um my first time ever participating with dragon con was virtually so, you know, it's one of those weird things where, you know, you find ways to open doors, crack open windows, step through, push your name in, make it happen. That's about it. But I did have one like, oh, 2020 stab like it. OK, so literally the week before everything shut down, I had a meeting with Columbus City Schools, which is, you know, my hometown in Columbus, Ohio, and they were interested in bringing me in for a summer project. And I pitched them my You Create Comics line, which is uh, all designed to kind of integrate comics in the classroom and help people make comics um, on their own, like just, you know, kids, adults, anybody, like really kind of, you know, bridging the gap for comics. And I pitched them this this project and they're like, we love it. 
we want to bring you in uh, for this summer program. And I was like, cool, you know, I'll, I'll give you guys a deal. I'll charge like 10 bucks a student. You get a workbook and I'll, you know, go through this whole process of, of, you know, teaching how to make comics. Um, you know, how many students are you guys thinking? They're like 7,000. And I'm like, huh. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you, you did hear me say $10 a student, right? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you, you realize like that's $70,000 for a summer project, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that only lasts five weeks. And they're like, yeah. And like, that's when Victor realized that he should have said $15. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's weird. I have this weird dialectal thing. When I say 22, it sounds like 10, which is so <laughs> weird. I don't even know why it does that. I got to catch it. But, you know, so, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we get it. We get it. We got it. We like that. And I'm like, awesome. And then everything shuts down. And this summer project doesn't happen. Holy and I'm looking at this man. huge windfall like, this is about to be my life. And then COVID 2020 get together, have a baby. And it is the apocalypse for uh, a, about a year. So I'm, I'm slowly integrating back into things. And, and uh, um, like I said, I'm finishing up an artist residency at a local charter school. Shout out to the Charles school. Um, we did an 11 week, 11 weeks, uh, this project to, I mean, we're talking kids that aren't necessarily art focused, let alone geek focused, um, going from not caring, knowing what comics are to making a four page story. Um, we actually finish oh, up awesome. our, our final project next week. So I'm super excited about, you know, that opportunity, but yeah, man, you talk about like the worst hit for me. That was definitely it. That yeah. was one where it was like you could nickel and dime exactly how hard that hit was. That sucks. Yes. yes. <laughs> wow. yeah. But I mean, you know, there are people that died. So what do I have to really complain about? Yeah. You know, right. in 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 perspective, everything, you know, is relative. And while that was, you know, a blow, the Uber positive for me is number one, they were interested. You know, like they were interested. The project hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, I've actually been able to develop more stuff. So when we return to talk about this, I have more to offer them. So now. I can exactly, exactly. <laughs> Book twice as long now. I'm giving you a deal. The paper went up. You know, it's not even my fault. 15, I'm sorry. It's the cost of living in 2021. You know yeah. what I'm saying? 15 now. So, but yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what carried me through. And, and obviously, you know, hitting the, the, the typewriter as much as I could um, because I had stories, you know, and in this year without conventions, uh, the least thing that I can do is sit down and write more. So I've got a bunch of scripts. Uh, I've got work in production. Uh, last year, we actually did a re-release of The Trouble with Love um, that was kicking off the shared universe aspect of right. Vantage and House Productions. Yes. And uh, yeah, man, this is it's been it's been a colorful year, but I've I've enjoyed it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm glad to hear that, you know, that you've been safe and I presume your yes. family's been safe. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so really glad for that. And it, Thank and it you. does, Thank you. that does put things in perspective for mm -hmm. sure that, you know, we have to focus on, you know, what ultimately matters, which is that we're all here and we're all safe. Exactly. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're celebrating the things that matter. And what matters is that Samaritan turned 10. 10 your, years your old, man. Crazy. Yes. Crazy. Yes. I can't even like 
it it's you know in 2020 uh vantage in-house productions and my turning to make comics full-time um that hit a 10-year anniversary milestone as well so like within what is it uh less than six months like i had quit my job with the state you know to make comics full-time and then my first book under vantage in-house comes out and you talk about like your memory lane sparking like you're like man all the things that i did it's been 10 years since that happened are you sure like let me one two three four oh my god it has you know so it's it's yeah yeah man 10 years of the samaritan uh shout out to rim mckenzie uh co-creator on that series the artist for that series um yeah man it was it's crazy to think that this little nugget of an idea that i had you know a few years before that um, has now hit, you know, people have been able to read it for 10 years and it actually, it's aged decently in my opinion. Like I've actually, you know, gone back and reread it recently and I'm like, it's kind of a good book. Like who the hell wrote this? Like this guy needs to write some more stuff. Like I like this. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we, so we actually got to read it, um, Mm -hmm. for this, uh, Victor, was kind enough to shoot us over some some copies to read of course Um, of course and you know i I actually remember when i first met you it was at new york comic-con i want to say five years four or five years ago at this point good grief i know right it's wild and uh you know i was just so um interested in, in in a in a black creator who had a table it wasn't something that I had really seen up to that point um, who had a table that looked like it was like, man, this is busting. This is actually kind of <laughs> like there's people here. You got a lot of books like it was cool. Thank and you. you put this book in my hands. Obviously, I bought it um, and I went home and I read it. And I was like, wow, this is this is like this is different. I, I, I'll i be honest. I never, ever like stopped and checked out uh, a, a creator of colors work at a con. Thank you. Thank um, you. You were the first person I did that for. And I was like, wow, this is this is so cool. I really enjoy this. And here we are, you know, five years later. Um, how does it feel to have a book that has actually penetrated? You you did a you did a video. I don't know if it was a series. I saw one where you were talking about um this milestone and you know how this this book had really kind of like was the takeoff moment for vantage in-house. So how does it feel to have a book that's penetrated, that stood the test of time and, you know, really has hit with people. It's crazy, man. Um, and thank you for, for all the sweet words that you just like exploded all over my face, neck and chest. I love it. Um, here's okay. So here's the thing, like one to recognize like the Samaritan as like almost the penultimate, if not, um, flagship title advantage in-house is is crazy because with what we created visually tonally with the samaritan it has become almost synonymous with me in a way that anytime any other piece of work slightly seems to reference it i get people that that like yo did they steal your stuff did they did they come at you Um, that happened that luke cage definitely um that was a big one. In fact, if you if you like the first season of Luke Cage, the first three episodes are essentially the Samaritan. Like that's essentially what the series is. And I'm not saying that they stole anything from me. Um, however, I did have someone tell me like they can't tell me that you know somebody looked at the Samaritan and they made Luke Cage, 
but somebody looked at the Samaritan and they made Luke Cage. And I'm wow. like, that's cool. Like I, for me, both can exist and it never stopped me from selling the Samaritan. So the only way that I would, you know, raise a flag is if it stopped me from actually selling the Samaritan in any way, shape or form. And the book still does well. So I'm never going to argue. Um, there's a new uh, Sylvester Stallone movie coming out called Samaritan and also based on a comic. Um not the same series at all. In fact, I became aware of this series. I was on my way to Wizard World Chicago and happened to be scrolling through Comicsology and saw it and bought it, read it. Very interesting, similar visual of sorts. We've got a superhero kind of, you know, cloaks themselves wearing a hoodie type thing, but it's a totally different concept, totally different character. Um, shout out to Braggy Schrute um, for, for writing. Um, and he he's made it into a movie. Like I give mad credit to that. Like that's awesome. When that announcement was made, I had a ton of people. Yo, did, did they make your movie? Did they steal from you? What is this? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is this is another project altogether. You know, big shout out to you know everybody that's involved with that one. Um, so I'm very proud of that. You know, the, to be recognized so that other people you know pick up that baton and I don't have to be like they took from me. Like other people are like, yo, this looks like Vic stuff, and I'm like. I've done my job. I've done my job. Well, the book is really interesting because it, it it features this. It's basically like a you know a hood, right? Yep. Um, yep. More specifically, it seems like it's you know based around this particular building, and there's just a lot of trouble. It's like all the the ills that you would expect in a neighborhood full of disenfranchised people who mm -hmm. are struggling to pay their rent, have to do what they have to, um, you know, and things like that. And here comes this guy who's kind of, you know, mysterious and doesn't really, we don't know much about him, but he seems to be able to help them mm -hmm. uh, in a variety of different ways. And, you know, we're not going to spoil it because we do want you to go out and pick the book up. Let's, you know, let's get it. Vic has to make up that, course. that, that that windfall you know um, let's go let's go Seven thousand units 10 bucks a pop let's go yes absolutely um but it's it's a story that's like kind of inspiring because yeah we don't have you know we're not we're not the samaritan in the sense that we don't necessarily have his abilities and we've got some of us a lot of the same problems that the people in those in those apartments have right um but we can help too you know, course, and that's something that the book showcases in certain ways. He inspires people to help other people. And that might be his biggest superpower. Absolutely. Um, the the tone of the Samaritan is actually this is OK. This is where I put on my super writer's hat and act like I did something important. <laughs> the The point of it is to is to have a conversation about your responsibility to the world that you live in. Right. Um, every person that Smith encounters in this story is progressively more responsible for the things that they've encountered. So the first person that he saves is a child who should never be held accountable for the world that they're brought into. They have no choice in the matter. But moving forward, every person, whether that is the, the drug addict, right, who gives he's given an opportunity like, hey, I can, you know, let me help you. Let me help you. But you have to let me help you. Otherwise, I can't help you or I'm just going to I'm going to help you as I see fit. And then we get into domestic violence, which says, yes, you're in a tough situation, 100 percent. But if you choose to stay when you have this help available right here, right now, we're not saying that on your own, you just have to decide. 
But in this space now, you are protected. You are safe. I can make sure of this. If you choose to stay, that is now your choice. This is what you have decided. So it's all about your sense of responsibility to the world and environment that you're in. Um, and it goes to big things, little things. I try to teach this to my kids. You know, um, if you go to the grocery store and you have a cart and you leave your cart, you know, by your car instead of putting it in the corral where everybody else can get it, you've made a choice. You know, if there's anything that's kind of difficult or or you know shoddy about wherever you are, you've just added to it as opposed to just this little act of kindness, which not even really a kindness. It's just a sense of responsibility. It's your cart. Put it back. And it would change things. If everybody did just that little bit, it would change everything. So that's kind of the idea. Yeah. And uh, it, it really, it really comes across in the book. Um, Thank you. Now, I, in the, in the video series that you, that you did, mm -hmm. you talked about how, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of wanted to do something unique in every city that you, that you took the book to. Yes. Um, talk about that. It's a really, really <laughs> brilliant idea. Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, one of the most ingenious things I've ever done in my career. And I'm saying that <laughs> with with total humility because it was only genius because of how well it actually worked. Um, basically, what happened was the Samaritan had been out for a little while um, and my partnership with Wizard World had had leveled up. Um, they were covering me going to all these shows. I had no overhead expense from travel, hotel, nothing was an overhead expense for me. So I could then, you know, go from being the 8-bit guy with so many people knew me as I had the pixel art, uh, the 8-bit challenge, people guessing stuff. I was known for that and everybody loved it. And it was fantastic. And I got like I did away with all of it to focus on comics when, for the most part, I didn't have to pay anything to go to these shows. So I could take more of a risk. In order to really make this worthwhile, though, considering that the Samaritan as a series had been out for nearly two years at that point completed, um, what I did was every city on the Wizard World tour that I went to, I made a special cover um, that celebrated that city. Um, at least one cover, like some cities had like four or five, like Chicago had five because, you know, it was a big city, all kinds of things that help, you know, represent and, and showcase Chicago. Um, but what made it really interesting was so many people identified that area or whatever city we were in as the location for this story, which kind of showcased the, you know, synonymous nature that this hood could be any hood, every hood, everybody saw something in it there, you know, whether I was in St. Louis, New Orleans, Portland, um, the first place that I ever sold out, Madison, Wisconsin. And Sean, like you said, you know, if you look at me as a black creator, and I appreciate you saying so, um, Madison, Wisconsin is not the place that you would think of a black comic book selling out, but it's the very first place that I ever sold out of the series. Like people were buying it because it related to them in some way, shape or form. They saw something that was real and true within it. And there you go. So that was, that was a huge, huge opportunity. Definitely made it, you know, one of the best selling titles um, from my imprint ever. And, you know, we like by way of design um, marketed it so, so very well, it became a wizard world exclusive. We would, you know, put it up on their website. People would come looking for it. Yo, yo, you got that exclusive cover. I need that one. Of course, here you go. Boom. You know, 10 bucks at a time, you know, that's at 7,000 units. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that was the thing was like trying to like, not only have this story be relatable to all people, but kind of, you know, take it from place to place and say, this could be here. 
This could you could be this person here. If you read this story, you feel so motivated. This could be you. You could make this change um, in these areas, in these places. And all you got to do is just just show up, just kind of, you know, do a little thing and tell somebody that they matter or show them how to do something better. And ta-da, you you've saved you saved the world. So what is the future of 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 the Samaritan? So when you when you ask that question, let me ask you this. The Samaritan is the title, right? Um, there's not necessarily a person called the Samaritan in the right. series. So do you mean as a series or do you specifically mean the character Smith? As a series. Okay, that's good. Okay, good, good, good. Um, okay, so what we did as part of the celebration of 10 years um, for this year, uh, I partnered up with Jean-Paul Deschamps, a very talented illustrator from New York. Uh, shout out to the Bronx. Um and he did the uh, eighth issue. Uh, for the longest time, the Samaritan was only seven issues. And I had plenty of people that were like, come on, I know there's more. I know there's more. And I'm like, mm, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Um, but no, we, we did the uh, eighth issue called Serendipity, which takes the series in a different direction. We're actually going to follow um, not, I won't say two new characters, but two other characters and uh, how they're going to take on uh, the mantle of what Smith was doing in the world that they now reside in. You know, they are going to start affecting change. You know, that's what they recognize him as, is this bastion of change and, and justice. And now they're going to take on that that mantle and start doing it in, in lieu of him. So we actually got to read that issue as well. And it was really cool. Um, John Paul is, I've met him a couple of times. Mm -hmm. He's a very interesting character. Very much. Um, <laughs> very much so. He's also super talented. And uh, this was a really, really good looking issue. Mm -hmm. um, and it does set the stage for, you know, what appears to be coming. And you've got a lot coming. I mean, at the end of that, at the end of that book, you gave us, you know, it was a, a, a tease for, you know, the future of, the whole line and you know yes. we're not gonna i don't know how, how you know how no, much talk about it about. talk about okay. it let's get it out there so um phase first two, of all looking crazy fa <laughs> phase two <laughs> thank you thank you it's it's a it's a really nice looking infographic not okay. unlike something you might have seen uh like it's not the same thing by any means but it, it gives me the vibe of like a marvel like charting their their that's 100 where it came from 100%. I, I steal, okay? I'm going to tell you that right now. Hey, that's that old adage, right? Great artists Thank you. steal, right? You know? Right? Come on. Come on. I saw you like Luke Cage, right? I mean, it's only fair. I'm going to get some back. I'm going to just take a little bit back. That's all. Um, but, but there are a lot of titles on here, and this shows yes. how much, you know, how far ahead you're thinking. Um, the trouble with love and never too late are things that, you know, we have seen. And mm -hmm. on this very show, we actually talked about these these books. Um, but we've got the Samaritan Samaritans, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I, I'm interested in that for sure. Um, what is point of authority family ties? So point of authority picks up. Uh, it's one of the few direct sequels in my roster from Origins Unknown. Um, so that's one of the first anthology titles that uh, came out in 2011. Um, so later on this year, it literally will celebrate its 10 year um, start wow. uh, that I did with Jacob Newell. And Point of Authority was, I believe, our second story that features this kid, Benjamin, who finds out that 
his grandfather, who now lives with them, um, suffers from some sort of dementia or, or something like that, um, lives in the attic, is kind of a strange character, right? His grandfather's up in the attic and he hears him struggling with something. And, you know, young Benjamin, he's like a little kid. So he goes up to see what it is and sees that there's this glowing box that has these glowing chains on it that his grandfather keeps trying to get inside of. And when he's like, what are you doing? He's like, did I ever tell you that I'm a superhero? And the thing that I need to be a superhero again is in this box and I need it back. And Point of Authority, Family Ties is the immediate sequel to that little short story. So we find out um, more. I I won't say exactly (laughs) how or what, but we find out more. And it is a far larger story than what we got in that short little eight page preview piece. So yeah, it's a, it's a big one. In fact, uh, shout out to Adam Fields. He is the artist for that one. He actually gets started on that this month. So I'm super excited uh, to be dropping that. I think we'll drop the first issue probably by the end of summer. Um, We'll have that out there for everybody. So you guys can see all the cool that that's coming. Yeah. And, and all the cool that's coming, like I said, this is a very, uh, this is a very awesome looking infographic. Is this available for the public to see, or is this? Are we looking at something exclusive? No, no, no. I think it's. I think it's up on the the Vantage In House Facebook page. Um, yeah, I was because I try to put that stuff out there. Hadn't this been in the back matter of a preview? Because I was going to say, I feel like I think I, so. I feel like I've seen the infographic before. You guys saw Never Too Late Number One, right? Yes. It's yeah. in the back yeah, of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's in the back of that. Yeah. Yep. At the time, we weren't, you know, you weren't really talking too much about, but <laughs> yeah. but now, but now we're diving in, and that that brings me to my next point. Uh, you're a big fan of Lincoln Park, huh? I am. I am. <laughs> What's funny is, um, so with Origins Unknown, the first volume, all of the titles are named after Lincoln Park songs, all of them. So it's you know, Breaking the Habit. I just realized point of authority. that. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> fucking funny. I can't believe I yes, didn't yes. clock that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. Um, the last one of the of the first three is Somewhere I Belong. Um, so yeah, all Linkin Park songs. The second volume were all Kid Cudi songs. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, what is it? Uh, Pursuit of Happiness, um, I Make Her Say, and uh, what's the last one? Oh my God. Um, no One Believes Me. That's what the last one is. So yeah, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a music fan and sometimes the phrase encapsulates so much of the story and you know considering that most of these stories were about younger you know from kids to teenagers i felt like particularly at the time that those songs really captured something and that's kind of what i tried to you know invoke in each one um but what's crazy is like all of the origin origins unknown stories are shout outs to marvel and dc characters so uh point of authority is kind of a shout out to it's like a cross between green lantern and Starman. um it's kind of a it's a weird thing that I, I I like, you know, what can I say? Somewhere I Belong is a shout out to Wonder Woman. Uh, Breaking the Habit is a shout out to uh, Superman. Uh, no One Believes Me is Wolverine. Um, let's see. Pursuit of Happiness is Batman. And I make her say technically doesn't have a direct one, but it's it's kind of a villainous Magneto type vibe, which I kind of love. So, yeah, cool. I, I, I love this. Um, Thank you. And it's. It's amazing that, you know, Vantage in-house is doing all of these things, you know, like you're not settling for the Samaritan, which is great, but you're saying we can go bigger. Yes, yes, yes. How do you find the time is my question. 
like between Whoa. this, you're teaching, you've got a family, like you are a busy, busy, I, right? We know you're the hardest yeah, working yeah. man. In college, I mean, it's, but. you know, one gets that name, you have to earn it. Right. Um, I'm, I'm a guy that works whenever I can. Um, I have a weird work like ethic of sorts. Um, I don't have like a set deadline for myself. Uh, I work based on inspiration. The thing is that as soon as inspiration leaves, I'll pick up something else to do. Like I have so many irons in the fire that I literally bounce around from projects. Um, and I have what I call the F around and finish method, um, which is like, I'm working on this thing and then I don't feel like it. So I work on this other thing and I don't feel like it. Then I work on this other thing and I come back to this one and I work on, it, I go, Oh snap, I finished. Oh, okay, sweet. Cool. Next, you know? And so it's this accidental process of, of production where I'm just getting things out as I finish them. Um, or I hold on to them for the right reasons. You know, there's things that I have on deck. Um, shout out to uh, Seth DeMoose, who I've done this uh, beginnings of the series, Wonders of the, the Great Beyond or the Weird Beyond, sorry. Wonders of the Weird Beyond. Um, that is kind of the Vantage in-house um, Fantastic Four, if you will. It's a family of explorers. They don't have superpowers, but they're a family of explorers, very dynamic people. Um, you've got the, the father, husband, who is Dr. Wonder, who is this inventor, great you know, mind thinker, very much so like Reed Richards. Um, you've got his wife, Mrs. Wonder, who is this uh, beyond Olympic level athlete, uh, amazing hand-to-hand -hand fighter, um, which you don't normally see in the ladies, um, but definitely what I wanted. Um, you've got their two sons. Uh, you've got Young Wonder, who is a dynamic uh, tactician and, and, you know, detective, you know, for a kid. Um, and then you have Young or Kid Wonder, who is this brilliant uh, acrobat slash pilot. So he's got like this heightened sense of an equilibrium. So his sense of balance is crazy and his, you know, reflexes are nuts. And, uh, you know, this family just does things on this very exploratory level and they are um, pivotal when it comes to the Vantage in-house universe and the shape of things. So um, there is a super team that we're building called uh, Safeguard, um, which you get a little hint of in the back of the newest Trouble with Love uh, story when you have the, what is the Trouble with Wonder? Um, you know, that's the, or the wonders of love. I think it's the wonders of love. I think that's what it's called. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, we're hinting at this super team that, uh, you know, features a couple members of the wonders. Apex Prime is on that team. Um, if you think about their name, the family, uh, the wonders, uh, there's leanings for future associations. No, nah, I'm just going to say it. Uh, they started Wonder Care. Like oh, that is like what they do sense. when they retire from being superheroes, they start wonder care and it's oh, this wow. facility to teach, you know, people with powers, how to use them. So it's this shared universe, you know, all the things, everything so touches. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, what's so cool about that man is like, we grow up watching, you know, or reading comics and watching mm -hmm. like the, the shows and stuff. And, um, you get to do that. Like, I remember when I was a kid, like I used to, you know, put, you know, oh, what would happen if Spider-Man and Superman like teamed up or right. whatever. And, and, and like, you know, play in that sandbox that had been built by other people, but you're mm -hmm. creating your own sandbox. And maybe one day there will be a kid like I was playing in the sandbox that you created from your lips to God's ears. Make it so, it so. <laughs> <laughs> is the goal. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you obviously being this being the ceo of advantage mm -hmm. in-house you have a unique perspective on comics because you're at the top level making the executive decisions 
for your company, mm -hmm. but you're also on the ground floor making the comics. Um, and one of the things that I really thought was interesting in the video that you put up was you talked about comics creation from the executive perspective. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how, you know, there are financial and business realities to creating comics that not everybody understands or is confronted with. And the industry right now mm -hmm. feels like it's in a state of upheaval. And, you know, with, with DC, they, they obviously, you know, jumped into bed with Lunar and DCS. Obviously, the right. DCS situation has fallen apart. They're still with Lunar. Marvel has moved over to Penguin now. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of things are changing. Um, can, you, can you talk about what you see unfolding in the industry and what, you know, how you kind of feel about everything that's happening? Of course, of course. Um, I know that for some people, there is this measure that things are falling apart. And I don't think that they're falling apart. I think they're changing, but we are, we're going into a cycle and it's kind of funny. So I'm a huge devotee um, fan, like mentee of Mark Miller. And he always talks about how like comics actually work in a cycle, right? Like pop culture works in a cycle. And I think what we are literally on the cusp of going back to is the upheaval of what was the eighties, like what, what the eighties did for comics. And it's so funny, like when we came in, cause I came in after that. So I didn't really see it happen, but I'm, I'm vaguely aware of all the things that were changing. Um, you know, that's when you had diamond becoming the, you know, almost exclusive, you know, dealer of, of mainstream books. Like that's when that stuff started to happen. Um, you know, and, and when I say the eighties, like I'm going into even the early nineties when the image founders left to start image comics, like this is, this is all part of that same era. And that's what we're coming back to where the industry is changing. You know, what we understand as comics is changing and it should because the market is maturing, the readers are maturing, the creators are maturing, like all these things that, didn't exist before are prevalent, you know, super big right now. Um, so basically the way that I see the industry is it's trying to understand where it needs to be in order to continue. Um, do I think the industry is going to die? No, not at all. We're, we're, there's too many of us that want it to keep working. Um, even if that means it doesn't work the way that we know it, what we will be doing is building the new way that it's, it's going to work. You know, um, if we go back, I mean, and I'm a big, like, a huge fan of saying like study the history of comics not just like you know um who did what but how did it happen you know the notion that like there was a point in time where when marvel first started marvel was actually distributed by dc comics like that's how it worked dc had the yeah wow. yeah when when like okay so when marvel was first created as marvel not atlas or timely but as marvel dc had to distribute them um, to the newsstands. They had the outlet to do so. So what DC did was DC relegated them to saying that you only got six to eight titles a month that you got to put out. Like, that's it. So in terms of um, competing with us, that's all we're going to let you do. So that's why the first Marvel titles, most of them weren't standalone titles. Like Fantastic Four was special because Fantastic Four only had Fantastic Four in it. But that's why you had Journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense, Amazing Fantasy, and they were anthologies, so they could figure out which books they were going to give that top spot to. 
Like that's how they did that. So they would introduce a bunch of different characters, a bunch of different stories and whichever ones resonated the most, that's what became Marvel as we know it. That's why it's not Spider-Man number one. It's Amazing Fantasy 15, you know, and that, you know, 11 pages in Amazing Fantasy kicked off this whole brand that is, you know, huge and infinite. Those are the things that I think we're going to start to see. We're going to see people consolidate, work together, put out little things that are going to test the market and see, do you guys like this? Oh, you do? Okay, well, now I'm going to you know, invest in a bigger platform for it because it's smart. It's smart to do. Um, I think we're going to see more international influence on things. And when I say international, it's so funny. Most people are like, oh, manga. And I'm like, no, not manga. I literally mean European comics, which are more based on like music industry stuff where they come out and they're called albums. Um, you don't expect an album every year, maybe once every year and a half, every two. Um, people are going to start creating things with graphic novel formats just like that, where it's not about the monthly book. It's how long can I make this book last? You know, it's some of the, the weird lessons that we've forgotten. We think that, you know, monthly books is the only thing that matters. Um, that's not true. Um, and we think that like once, once a title is out it has to remain the way that it is forever that's not true either like we have the means digitally to you know edit retcon fix you know whatever we want we can do this so we have this this living culture of of comic making and readership that we can play around with and just kind of um you know shape the future as we go along that's literally what i'm doing um all of the books that came out through vantage in-house were all meant to be standalone issues like standalone titles. None of them were supposed to be related to each other at all. It's only through time that I've seen through lines and storylines that I can connect these things and make them work. Well, why would I want to do that? From a CEO's point of view, what I'm doing is with, with this is so crazy. I'm telling my secrets here. So I love you guys. Okay. So <laughs> with you create comics and me going into schools, I am literally hands-on building not only the next generation of comic creators, but the next generation of comic readers. Very important. So yeah, more so than people are talking about, which is crazy to me, but each of the titles that I have, they, they function towards a specific readership group. Wonder care is all ages. So not just little kids, but it does include little kids and can be read by adults as well. Origins unknown is teen friendly. Uh, the trouble with love is young adult. The Samaritan is more mature. So if I'm starting at this early phase with them in school and I introduce wonder care, well, then as they get older and they start to age out of Wonder Care, well, now I have the or uh, Origins Unknown. You can do that one. And then once you age out of that one, well, here's the trouble with love. And then once you age out of that, here's the, here's the Samaritan. So I'm giving you something at, at various stages of your readership that will paint a bigger picture of everything that I'm creating. I'm not trying to capture everybody under one net at one time. I'm allowing you to grow into you know, the things that I have for you. I want your long-term, you know, fandom. I don't want it to just be, okay, I got them this year. Okay. What am I going to do next year? No, 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 no. Here's this thing that you get at this time and phase of your life. And then here's another one. And then here's another one. And then here's another one. That's, that's the true magic and longevity feature that, you know, I think comics are going to move towards. They're going to be more cognizant of who is reading these titles and when they're reading them. Um, it's one of the things that I say in terms of critique. I love Black Panther, the movie. I think it was fantastic. It's wonderful. They waited entirely too long to have a kid-friendly comic that has that visual to it. Like I think it took like a year or two with Marvel action before there was a kid-friendly comic 
that could be read in light of the Black Panther movie's success. You know, you can't give an eight-year-old Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, Black Panther and expect them to, to ride with it. Like, it's too it's too much. I legitimately saw that happen uh, on Free Comic Book Day. There was this this mother and son and this little kid was like, oh, I love Black Panther. Like, I really want to read Black Panther. And the the guy at the shop gives him issue one of Ta-Nehisi Coates' run. And I was like, this kid is not going to get this at all. <laughs> like, that's, that's right so over, his over head. the head. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's the that's the mistake we are we are seeing a penetration of comics and pop culture like we've never seen before but it's funny that the powers that be specifically marvel and dc have not managed a proper way to address the readership audiences that they are now introduced to like they've not figured it out i've been saying for years if i were suddenly in charge of the comic industry i would relegate dc to early readers groups so it'd be like from ages three to ten that is dc comics's bread and butter that's what they aim for and then marvel is from 10 to 18 and the reason for this is before you know you had writers trying to you know up the ante and change the the darkness of dc characters or try to make marvel characters more you know lighthearted. um dc was was like iconic right like superman batman wonder woman like these are very simple concepts that kids can get behind like they're the good guys easy no question and there's no gray area like good is good bad is bad you start that off on the three to ten year old side when you want to get into the gray matters the reality of life that's when you start to switch to marvel because you know nobody should be held responsible for their origin story in the dc universe everything kind of happens to people and they make a decision you know, after that thing happens to them. Marvel, it's a little different. Marvel, some people are actually responsible for the things that make them decide to become heroes or villains. Um, Spider-Man Peter Parker is definitely one of them. He had the opportunity to do something and stop a bad guy and was like, nah, I'm not gonna. And then it bites him in the butt. And then he's like, okay, well, maybe I should do this. That's very great. That's something that, you know, more of an adolescent mind should be considering. Well, if I do this thing that I want to do, but it hurts somebody else, maybe I shouldn't do this. That's... That's more of an adult mindset. So DC, in my opinion, should definitely feature more kid-friendly stories. Just started out the gate. I mean, my daughter's three years old. First person that she knew about is Superman. Like, she came out the womb knowing who Superman was. It's going to take some time for her to learn about Invincible. Like, that's just what it is. You know what I mean? Like, you got to build to it. And that's the thing. Like, in the independent market, we can cover all sides. We can go little kids. We can go mature. We can go wherever we want. But I think those corporate entities should kind of, you know, stake their claim and say, this is who we're appealing to with our stories and revitalize the entire industry. I think it would it would it would make everything better. Everything. So I, I have a question uh, to jump off that in terms of the revitalization thing and, and kind of, I guess, your position as uh, an indie creator. So we mm-hmm. often uh, debate kind of what the future of distribution of comics is going to be and like what the role of digital and physical and and all of those kinds of players are you know years from now right Mm -hmm. and you you were talking earlier about how when you look at the history of of comics right i think like right now our especially readers of our age like have this mentality that like comic book stores are that's how you buy comics and that's the only way to buy comics and like the direct market didn't even exist until our generation really exactly exactly Um, so you know that is something that like we we constantly talk about and we're constantly kind of debating because you know um like sean is like a physical diehard reader and like doesn't Mm want to really fuck with digital comics 
um, mm-hmm. if if he has the option not to, right? And like a lot of the rest of us have kind of varying feelings about it to some degree. And I- I'm super interested to hear what you think the future of of selling comics looks like. Do you think that comics are like moving towards you know um, like a like a more kind of like access model like we see? you know, TV and movie have gone with streaming and we're seeing video games start to try to flirt with, um, or do you think that it is going to be something that is really tied to the physical because that's what readers expect? I think it's going to be a combination of the two. So like what's going to happen is the comic book physical readership. I don't think is ever going to go away because there's so much attached to that. It's not just the, the reading itself, but it's the collectability. Sure. It's things like that. Um, all that needs to happen is one time, just one time somebody loses their entire collection because the server went down. The moment that that happens, digital as an exclusive venue stops. No one's going to do it like at all. Um, particularly if there's not a way to ensure what you have, you know what I mean? Um, at least like with physical comics, yes, there's a risk of fire, but I could literally get those books insured so that if something like that were to happen, I'm, I'm financially protected or something like that. But I do think that they will start to work in tandem more. And I see creators that do this now when they start with webtoons and then they make a physical yeah. you know, graphic novel piece. Um, the trick will be what extras they are adding to it that will make it worthwhile for people to buy. And you're starting to see that model start to crop up with Kickstarter, you know, where people are you know, doing add-ons and different things like that. When that becomes the regular feature of comics where you get a digital that might have a separate story or totally different angle that this story is told. And then you get a print one that gives you something else. They're just going to marry together. So, so well, it's going to be crazy dope. Um, how, how does that work for um, retailers? Retailers have to evolve as well. You know, that's the truth. And one of the things that like my local comic shop, shout out to Comic Town, that we've been talking about. And it's so crazy. Like they, they have uh, logos of publishers up on their walls. Right. And I kid you not. It's Marvel, Vantage In-House, DC. Like I'm in the middle. And you got <laughs> image. And then, so I'm shooting myself in the foot when I say this, but I mean it. When you go publisher specific, if you think about it, there are maybe what, 10 major publishers that, that retailers highlight and showcase with, with their, you know, with their um, retail offerings. But if you go through Kablam, right, which is a print on demand site, shout out to Barry. Um, when, they, when they have their categories for what your subject matter is, there's like 18 different like genres that you can print your comic or say your comic touches. So imagine that idea. Instead of it being Marvel, DC, Image, Aftershock, um, Boom, Vantage In-House, um, instead of it being like that, you're talking genre, right? You're talking horror. You're talking suspense. You're talking action. You're talking superhero. Now what you have is a broader base. That means that more people can come in and go, I like superhero comics, but I don't know where to start. Well, here's our superhero section. It's not a matter of Marvel. It's not a matter of DC. It's not painting them against each other. It's do you like this subject here? Here's what you can check out. And it's basically what bookstores do. You go to a Barnes and Noble right now. It's not a, it's not Penguin Random House. It's not, you know, Titan. It's what is the genre? And all of the publishers that might fit under that, that's where they are. And it's a way to give people entrance without forcing them to pick sides. They're not having to say, well, I'm only a DC person or I'm only a Marvel person. 
do you like superheroes? Here's your section. Have at it. You know, whether that's Marvel, DC, some independent creator, doesn't matter. You like superheroes? This is the this is the space for you. You like horror comics? This is a space for you. You like all ages kid kid friendly comics? This is a space for you. That's the way that we're going to get more people to come in because it doesn't require any preconceived information. Um, you know, they can just come into the shop and be introduced to stuff, you know, and that's, that's the goal. That's what we want because the more people that, you know, we can just say, here's a book that you might like, the longer we're going to have people reading comics. So we actually have to let you go here in just a few uh, minutes. I got like 10 minutes. I got like 10 minutes. I'll make it work. And I'm going to, I'm going to maximize those 10 because (laughs) um, I want to, I want to, pivot a little bit and get your thoughts about uh, a few different things. So first of all, I know that you are a big invincible head. Um, My man. And obviously the show just wrapped its first season. Yes. What did you think about it? Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. I've been saying to people that I think that the order of events in this show is closer to what Kirkman had originally planned. Um, for those that don't know, like, the book almost got canceled within its first year. And that's why we got the reveal about Omni-Man spoilers. If you haven't seen it, um, you get the reveal by issue 13 and it wasn't supposed to happen that way. So I think that a lot of the things that we saw is kind of that retcon of sorts where, you know, he's, he's like, well, let me show you how it was supposed to go, how y'all were supposed to get this. And it's, it's been a great journey. Like, I love it. I absolutely adore it. I'm not going to front though. That first episode, like I was watching it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is nice. This is cool. This is this is fun. We get to the end. Expletives. I'm, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, ah! like I'm screaming my head off. Loving it. Loving it. It was, I mean, you know, and it's different than the books. You know, the books, it's super yeah. quick. It's it's. It's not even it's not a fight. It's not a competition. Right. This is just this. It's a murdering. But the way the show did it. I'm in there. I'm in there. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I love the pacing of it. Um, the way that they they plotted this whole thing out was fantastic. High marks to everybody involved. Big special shout out to Laura Ennis. Um, uh, she she. Uh, does this amazing book called The Dreamer, but she's now moved into animation and worked on this series. So shout out to her. She used to live here in Columbus. So mad love on a local level for sure. That's awesome. Yes. Awesome, Victor, um, uh, I'm happy to report I finally got Sean and the rest of the guys to read the first 35 issues for uh, one of our book clubs. So we're, we're chipping away at it here. Dude, I, I I told you last time I saw you, Sean, if you send me your address, <laughs> he said he I will send him. you all 25 trades. I got them in my... Does that offer still stand? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. I will send them. Book so Club you Volume can- Two is coming. Let's go. We might have yes. to hit up Victor for that. I got um, you. I got you. So, did you watch Falcon Winter Soldier? Of course. And what did you think? I thought it was fantastic. Um, great social commentary. Um, very biting with some of the truths that they were that they were expelling. Um, it's been amazing to see all the TikToks from the people who could not handle that truth. That has been so delicious to just drink those tears. Well, well why? Why? Because it's true. Okay, like just handle it. You know, um, the comic skaters that crack me up. I don't want you know 
political ideas in my in my comics. Guys, have you never seen Captain America number one? Have you guys never seen that? Where like literally Steve Rogers is punching and that was before Hitler. we entered the war. It's right? quite a political statement. <laughs> huge. Huge. Okay. Like I actually came up with this thing um talking to my students. I'm like, did Captain America number one give us Godzilla? And they're like, how did you do that? And I said, allow me to explain. So Captain America number one has Steve punching Hitler. We were not involved in World War One or at World War II at the time, right? We weren't involved directly. I'll say it like that. Um, sure. So <laughs> did, did Hitler see this and be like, okay, so that's how they're going to do it. We're going to talk to Japan and we're going to be like, hey, listen, I think they're trying to threaten us. How about you attack them because you're closer? And Pearl Harbor happens later that year. Obviously, through you know series of events, we decide that we're going to retaliate against uh, Japan by nuking them twice. We're the only country to ever do this, and that's what Godzilla is all about: is this commentary of of the survival of being nuked. So, did Captain America number one give us Godzilla? These are the questions. These are the important questions. Very much so. <laughs> Very never, much so. Never thought I would hear Captain America and Godzilla in the same sentence, but. It's the way my brain works, man. It's the way my brain works. I love it. Um, Cool. So then my next question is, what Marvel Phase 4 movie are you most looking forward to? So when it comes to those, it's the ones that ordinarily on paper I couldn't give a crap about that become the ones that I'm most looking forward to. For sure. Because I'm like, I don't don't care. Like, whatever. Shang-Chi has my heart and soul. Yes. That That was one where it was like, Oh, they're making a Shang-Chi movie. And I'm like, all right. I mean, that's cool. Watching the trailer, I'm like, I need this in my life. Is it September yet? Why is it not September? When does September get here? Is it the same time as it is every year? Are you sure? Can we get it sooner? Does 2020 count? Can we bump that up a little bit? Yeah. Shang-Chi got me. Got me hard. I am excited about the Fantastic Four. I'm not going to lie about that. But yeah, Shang-Chi got me. That feels so far away, though, still. It does. You know, it like does. I'm sure it's not in the grand scheme of things, but, but it feels like forever. <laughs> Did you watch Zack Snyder's Justice League? Of course. I saw it three times opening weekend. <laughs> because who has that kind of time? This guy. <laughs> How? How do you have this kind of time? We've just got- I time warps, I create time. I was literally Can you teach me? Like, is this <laughs> have children and you will find ways to go do things without them for four hours. I'm just saying. <laughs> I gotta get away from these kids. I'm just saying, no, no, I gotta, I gotta go to work, babe. I gotta go to work. I gotta go watch this thing because I gotta do a review for it. And uh, yeah, it's four hours long. I know, crazy, right? I'll be back. <laughs> so you enjoyed it, I take it. Um, I did. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, I think it's dangerous um, for fans to have that kind of input and power um, because it does kind of, it makes a democratic process out of creativity, which should never be democratic. Um, It should definitely be a dictatorship in terms of creative processes because it's a person's vision and they should put out what they want to put out, not what they think other people will respond to or what the fans are demanding. That's when you're not being authentic in your creativity. So I'm very like, like it's, it's cool that it happened, but we don't want it to become the trait where fans are like, I didn't like that version. Go back and do it again. That's not what we want. And it's a dangerous line to ride between that. It's a very good, very, very good point. Uh, always uh, talking gems. Sorry, Marco. I, I take it that you're not an uh, air cut stand then? No. 
<laughs> I mean, Suicide Squad was it was it was fun. It was fun. But no. <laughs> That's why we need the air cut. We need to see the true vision. All right. <laughs> I, I did, uh, no. No. So I, <laughs> my my last question, it's a yeah. doozy. You answer this how you feel you have to. Okay. This is gonna be something we're gonna talk about later, but because we won't have you, I really want your commentary. So whatever you can spare time wise. Uh right. obviously this week um it, it was reported again that Warner's moving forward with a Superman movie that features a black person playing mm-hmm. Kal-El, Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been a huge conversation in the industry this week. Uh, what's your take? For the longest time, I was against a black Superman. Um, and I had I had my rationale, okay? So er, to explain this, I did an experiment, okay? As a writer, I feel like sometimes in order to make a point, you have to experiment sometimes and take things into real life. Grant Morrison used to do it with drugs. I'm not that hardcore. I was doing this with my hair, okay? So... That was always my argument about a black Superman was there were more ways for Clark Kent to distinguish himself differently than Superman than your average black person. Right. So how Clark Kent combs his hair, in addition to wearing glasses, could create a very different visual than what Superman has. For the most part, black men don't change their hair like that. Like we just don't. So just throwing on glasses, you just look like that black dude with glasses. Like that's just (laughs) what it is. Or so I thought. I, again, on TikTok, saw a young man. Let's get these back on. Um, I saw a young man who had hair like mine. Okay, let me, I'll show you what my hair looks like. So it's long, right? So this kid like washes his hair, right? shampoo the whole nine like brushes it down so it has this beautiful wave pattern throws on the wave cap and he takes off you know this this wave cap and he's got i mean like it's gorgeous right but then you're like that's so interesting and he picks out his hair and it's huge so i'm like okay what you're telling me is that if clark kent is walking around seemingly with this faded up like wavy do-rag oriented hairstyle but superman's is this kind of box natural looking hairstyle no one would think that's the same person one would think like well it can't be him because his hair's not that long in but in fact it actually is so i'm like that could work that's the only way i will accept this that's the only way if they put forth that level of difference between clark kent and superman is the only way i'll accept it and it's doubled down on because in the um the donner cut of superman 2 We see a a screen test that was used and you really get to see like almost for the first time, like in a real setting, the difference that Christopher Reeve presented between Clark Kent and Superman. Like watch that scene of how Lois discovers who he is from the Donner cut and you physically see that they're two different guys. Like it's, it's insane. And unless, you know, somebody is able to project that same level I'm never going to accept it, you know, whether it's president, especially if it's President Superman. That dude's not even wearing glasses. OK, it's the same dude. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you got to give me something more that that says, like, people shouldn't know that you're the same guy other than, you know, all black people look like, which is such a terrible, terrible stereotype. But that's literally what President Superman does. You know, like <laughs> you're not even trying to hide it, man. Like, you're not trying to hide it. How do you still maintain the secret identity? It's crazy. 
Well, I love it. You're always dropping gems whenever you come by. Somehow we speak for like an hour every time, and I always have more questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Victor, for joining us. Before you jump, is there yep. anything you want to leave the fan, the listeners with? Uh, where can they find you on the internet and stuff? Absolutely. You can find me at Vantage In-House on all forms of social media. Definitely check out You Create Comics. That's the letter U-C-R-E, the number eight, comics.com. If you want to make comics for the first time, we've got supplies for you. Inexpensive, easy to use, um, a lot of fun. Um, I like literally after I'm done with the next interview that I'm going to moderate, um, shout out to, uh, Lena Hall and wizard world in the signature series. I got to give some love to them. Um, I'm jumping right back to finish up Jupiter's legacy. Uh, cause I've been enjoying that thoroughly. In fact, uh, I got a sneak peek of the first episode, like a couple weeks ago, and it was like a big campaign. So it wasn't just me personally per se, but it was a big campaign to like give some people some sneak peeks. But I did do something I probably wasn't supposed to do. I contacted a local theater and we actually watched it at a theater. And it was one of the greatest experiences ever. You're putting Um, yourself on blast right now. (laughs) I already told Mark I did it. I already told him I did it. You know, I didn't charge tickets or nothing like that. It was a small group of us. um, Same number of people that I would have at my house to watch this thing. But I was like, that's okay. If we could watch it on a bigger screen, would you guys want to? And they're like, well, how big are you talking? And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, "Are you crazy?" And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am." So, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to finish that. I got two more episodes. I would have binged it all yesterday, but I had to teach, so I was trying to be a good teacher and also watch it with my lady, or else I'll get stabbed. So, you know, don't break the binge code, man. Don't break the, the binge code. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's really what it is. Market. You know, I would have watched it already, but my lady was like, "I know you ain't about to watch that without me," and I was like, "You right." You're right. I'm going to just put my phone down and get rid of all these spoilers that I'm looking at. (laughs) Babe, I'll wait for you. I will wait for you. And uh, (laughs) what's the what's the website and the Twitter and all that? Yo, Definitely check out VantageInHouse.com. That's where you can get all of my books. Um, Like I said, YouCreateComics.com. That's where you can get all kinds of the cool materials. If you're a teacher and you want to bring YouCreateComics to your school, to your students, empower learning. Hit me up. We've got some great deals for you. Um, right now, I'm actually waiting. I'm waiting. I have two I- different entities uh, trying to book me for the summer. So we'll see whoever gets in first um, gets me and all the fun that we have to offer. So bring you create comics to the people nearest you and uh, let's make some cool stuff happen. Awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to do this again, I'm sure, very soon. Yes, yes. Not a year. Let's not wait a long time. Please. I don't want to. see you guys it's always an absolute pleasure to have victor on the show um he's just a a great guy and i really encourage you to go check out the samaritan again 10 years that's a huge milestone and it's worth your while to give it a shot so uh just go check him out we've got so much show to do um we're gonna be talking about i mean this was a huge week we're gonna be talking about um the, the the marvel sizzle reel that they put out um, we're going to be talking about some some news from the Hellfire Gala. They got a trailer, um, and uh, we talked. I mentioned earlier in the interview with Victor about the the search for a black Superman, um, and J. Scott Campbell's newest controversy related to a ten year old controversy. Uh, so we've got all <laughs> that coming up, um, but we've got we've got a lot of listener comments to get into. Oh my god, so, so many this week. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. You guys were tremendous this week. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Pete, go ahead and go ahead and start us off. Yeah. All right. So this first one uh, comes from Kilgore Trout over on our Jupiter Legacy episode one review. Uh, thanks again for the uh, screener. Uh, who was that from, Marco? Allied Global Marketing. Thank you guys for the the screener on that one. Um, so Kilgore wrote in and said there are a whole lot of reasons uh, to not watch the CW shows. The main reason being <laughs> that they're terrible and geared towards children. <laughs> I love that this has nothing to do with Jupiter's legacy, but the one part where we were like razzing CW so, shows. <laughs> a slight aside. and Well, I love it, Kilgore. Thank you, Kilgore. Regular commenter. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I'm not going to disagree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, thanks You're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, you have eyes. <laughs> this next one comes from Snake of Talons over on the Declan Shalvey interview that was on last week's show. I really appreciated Kale's butt plug comment, even though it seemed like no one else did. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Give the man the credit he deserves. Vindication, I guess. Right. <laughs> I remember the comment. I don't either. But <laughs> Sean <laughs> immediately <laughs> tried to just be like, all right, we're going to just. <laughs> Probably right. Oh, man. But anyway, I guess vindication this week is spelled C-A-L-E. Uh, so this is another one from Snake of Talents. This is over on our uh, Robin number one review. Um, <clears throat> they wrote in and said, I loved Robin issue one for tons of reasons. Something I thought was cool was that Williamson probably used King Snake to have Damien get some revenge for what Bane did to Alfred. Also, another podcast I listened to pointed out that Kingsnake's first appearance was in Robin issue two from the 90s run. A little nod to comics history like that is always great. Can't wait to see where this one goes. That's All cool. right. So Snake of Talons, obviously a very long time listener of this podcast, a regular commenter on our Discord server, all of that. You listen to other podcasts. Unbelievable. <laughs> we're, we're, we're done. No. Um, I'm wounded. I'm wounded. <laughs> Those are those are really good points. It makes a lot of sense um, now that you that you point that out, and it it, it kind of um, it, it it makes the the king sh the king snake element of it a lot more palatable. Not that it was bad or anything, but it just that tether to the history there is really cool, um, yeah. especially the the Bane Alfred connection. So yeah, um, thanks for writing in, man. I really really appreciate that. Yeah, I I, uh, I love getting that kind of clarification on stuff that we don't know because, I mean, no matter how much you know about comics, there's always something that you don't. So that's always cool. Thank you. Go check on something 30 years old and maybe you'll uh, see it again. <laughs> uh, this next one comes from Bueno Excelente over on our Garth Ennis interview. Uh, mm -hmm. And Bueno wrote in and said, he is literally my childhood. I love him so, so, so much. Such a genius. Always wanted to be the next Garth, LOL, dot, dot, dot. Always wanted to meet him. Yeah, it was really incredible for us to get to speak to him. Uh, I thought that interview was awesome. He's a wealth of knowledge, not just about comics, but obviously about war history and different things like that. In another, at another time, you know, uh, it would be really great to be able to speak to him about, you know, the wealth of his career. Uh, you know, we were a little bit limited, but um you know, the wealth of his career and other things, you know, it's the comics creators are people who have a, 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 a knowledge about a lot of things that they apply to their stories. So, you know, whenever you have a creator doing a story about a thing, 
you know, if it's based in reality, if it's based in truth, that's because they know about it. And the stories are cool, but the story behind the story of how they how they came to tell that story is always what's most compelling to me. So um, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the, the conversation. And uh, uh, I'm sure Garth is happy to know you're a fan of his. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for writing in. <clears throat> this next one comes from Jackson Reese via email who wrote in and said, Hi, Comics Pals. Where the hell has your show been all my life? You guys are so good. That Tony Schiavone interview was crazy. Schiavone. Oh, my God. Oh my God sorry. <laughs> I, I, how do I say it? Tony Schiavone? Schiavone. Schiavone. Sorry. I should be able to say it's Italian. I should be able to read it. <laughs> Tony Schiavone interview was crazy good. Sean is such a good host and Phil is so funny. I took the book club challenge and listened to the Watchmen book club and had a great time. You guys killed it. Sean was right. There's a book club for everyone. Any suggestions on what I should listen to next as a newcomer? Jax. Oof. Definitely Space Riders. <sighs> um. <laughs> listen, that that is great content. It's not our best book club, but it's a hilarious episode if memory serves. <laughs> I I think definitely for me it's between the the swamp thing one and um, Alex and Ada that was that was one that I thought was like personally a lot a lot of fun to talk about uh, the the content the book itself the way we broke down the art the story um, and swamp thing I think we did something similar and, and we did it pretty pretty well yeah um, so I re- I replied to this in in email form just because this this uh this email really meant a lot to me thank you so much again jackson uh for the kind words uh it really means a lot um the as far as the book club goes uh i mean man we've done we've done a lot of them that i i really uh that that matter to me if i had to recommend one just based on me personally it would be the uncanny x-force book club i know it's a book club that i hosted but um, that one dove into so many of the different things that I enjoy speaking about on this podcast and off it, uh, and the things that I enjoy reading. And I think we really dissected that book, um, to the point where there wasn't a lot of meat left on the bone. So that would be my recommendation as far as a book club is concerned, but even like taking it outside of the realm of book clubs, we've had so many great conversations, like just over the last year alone, like if you want to hear our, our conversations about the future of comics, which is a lot of what we talked about. I think if you go back to like March through August of 2020, some of those main topics um, are really yeah. uh, strong um, and, and uh, stuff that I stand behind for sure. So um, yeah, like what, if there's something that you're interested in, at some point or another, we've talked about it. So if you let me know, let us know what it is that you want to hear about, I'm sure we can link you to an episode we recorded where we talked about that thing. For sure. Um, a couple more I wanted to call out. <clears throat> I really like the Sandman book club that we did last year. That was another really strong one that Marco hosted. Uh, just recently, we did uh, Invincible. That was one that I hosted. It's my favorite comic of all time. If you've never read Invincible, if maybe you're interested in it because of the the cartoon and everything. Um, I think it's a great time to jump on, and that was a really fun conversation I've been wanting to have since we started the Comics Pals. Um, so I, that was one I really loved. Um, and then also uh, uh, our Civil War. That was a really good one. Mm. That's uh, pretty recent as well. Um, that was like another one that we really we read a ton of books for it yeah. and we really dug in and I think it's like a definitive conversation uh, on that book. 
Um, and in terms of old episodes of the show, uh, I definitely think the it's technically not a, a numbered episode. We did the Watchmen retrospective where we did Doomsday Clock versus HBO's Watchmen, and it connected to the Watchmen book club. Um, if you haven't checked that out since you like the Watchmen book club, that was a really, really great uh, episode that we did. Um, it, it, on YouTube, we called it the Comic Spell Special Edition. So uh, Watchmen retrospective, Doomsday Clock versus HBO's Watchmen. Um, that's another one I would definitely recommend if you were a fan of our Watchmen conversation. And and if you're a fan of that that show, we did the the we watch we watch Watchmen. That was the original yeah, we watch series. Yeah, yeah. So of course like that's that a, that's a that, that would be a, a perfect lead up to that in particular. And just if you haven't seen it, I think it's definitely up your alley. Yeah. Thanks again, Jax. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Really, really kind comment. Uh, okay. So this next one comes from Ed Kane. Uh, <clears throat> this was another one from the email. And Ed wrote in and said, I'm a new listener. Blame Rom V's interview. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks, Rom. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to write in regarding the great conversation you guys had about the price increase uh, because there's an angle that I don't see being mentioned anywhere. In novel publishing, nearly all book advances for the year are paid for via one or two mega releases. So recently, Obama had a memoir come out and it sold outrageously because Obama. The sales for that book enable the publisher to pay advances for smaller books that might not sell enough to justify their own existence. Comics could and should follow something similar, but it doesn't seem like they do that or even consider it. That would require comics publishing to look farther ahead because novel publishing is already filling their slate for 2022. I would be perfectly fine with a scenario where they increased a couple of the flagship books like Batman and kept most of the line of books at $3.99 and maybe even some at $2.99. Have the sales of Batman fund the rest of the line. Sure, it's not the same as novels, but a similar model could exist. <clears throat> I would even pay up towards $549 or $599 if the secondary stories were worth it. The current ones just don't really light a fire. The only one that I'm aware of that has me interested is Justice League Dark. Again, Rom V. The long tail of novel publishing could work in comics if more books were fed right to the right to trade or hardcovers instead of being set forced uh, to the trial by fire of monthlies. I don't know all the ins and outs of publishing or comics, but so much of it seems to be focused on short term. It's sad and upsetting because I would love to be buying DC Comics for the rest of my life. I've trimmed back and honestly, I'll probably drop the few I'm current on later this year and have all the spawn books dominate my monthly purchases. Which is a statement I never thought I'd be making, but that's a whole other topic. Okay, before I go on too long, I'll cut it here. As a new listener, I'm enjoying the podcast. Thanks. Hope I didn't take up too much of your time. Edward Kane. Uh, and then said, at Nihilus on Twitter. Um, Ed, didn't take up too much of our time. This is a great, really thoughtful email. Um, thank you so much for writing in, and thanks for checking out the show. Yeah, um, I, I I really appreciate your commentary. Uh that is a conversation about the price of comics that's really near and dear to my heart obviously because we keep talking about it on this show um i think that what you said about novel publishing is really interesting obviously marvel now has a relationship with penguin that's pretty deep and i think that there are possibilities that they could learn and kind of um adapt some elements of the way that they do things in the book market for comics. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. Comics work pretty far well in advance, uh, at least on the big two side of things yeah. um, because they have to. Um, and uh, 
I would say they're probably on a similar timeline, to be honest. Um, that's not the problem exactly. Uh, there are too many problems, in fact. I think, you know, just one of many, right? You listen to what Vic said, Victor uh, Dandridge said before. He mentioned how, you know, in, in any other medium, and I would say this is pretty true, you don't go based like who – do you really care who what uh, studio pr- produced the movie or do you care what, what type of movie it is? You know, you don't really – most people don't really think about movies in that way. You know, you you know you want to see the movie It. Do you know what studio made it? Probably not. Um, I don't think that that's always true, but I think that that's pretty consistently the case. And comics is one of the very few uh, places where that's not true. And not only is it not true if you're entrenched in it, it's not true if you're not entrenched in it. If you walk into a comic book store for the first time, you're going to be bombarded by Marvel and DC and these other groups of, of, of publishers, not not necessarily the genre that they come from. And I do think that's a problem. Uh, on that same piece about, you know, if they were being, the comics would work if they were being fed into trade, hardcovers, similar to what um, Victor said was in, in Europe, they have a different distribution model where it's albums. It is these collected pieces because that's the way that their market has grown accustomed to the consumption of it. And it works out better for for their uh, needs typically just because um, they don't have that same publication schedule. Uh, and I think there was a recent uh, tweet that went out, that got a little viral where it was like, oh, uh, the way that European comics have all of the, the Marvel books by color organized by like a specific, um, uh, by specific title. And it, it, it looks very clean compared to sort of like the, the comparison that they use of like, the wall of new releases on any given week is it's massive. Whereas you can, you can organize and fix things a little bit better. I think from having that, those collected editions. Yeah. The, the, the point of that tweet was that they were, they're really nicely bound in really nice hardcover editions that are designed really, really nicely and put up, you know, uh, displayed very, very nicely. And they just, they that part the French uh, the the European yeah. market does right. Um, something to what Marco said. Uh, that model is also pretty similar to how a Wave Blue World operates, um, right? If memory serves, and mm-hmm. uh, you can go listen to our interview with um, Tyler Chin Channer, who's the uh, the head of Wave Blue World, um, on episode one hundred and sixty four, and he talked nice. all about how their model uh, is kind of predicated on that, right? Like the book is completed before it releases and then that book funds the next couple books and um I, I do think that's interesting and it's something that like i think does make sense when you really think about it right like having the marquee titles the things that you know are going to sell bankroll the things that like you're trying to build or you're trying to take a gamble on um is something that you see in in other industries but something that sean said that i thought was interesting and i think is part of the problem with comics is, um, or at least I guess with big two comics anyway, I think the reason you have that brand identity, right, is because you made the point about movies. I think that that's true about the average movie, but I think that you do have like the monolith of like something like a Disney, right, where like you do have a Disney movie and that means something or a Pixar movie and that means something. And you see that as well, like in video games, right? Like it's like, you know, Nintendo, you don't know who the lead designer was on breath of the wild, maybe. And 
I think that part of that is that when you have these big publishers or or you know whatever create creative you know businesses whatever right that own this IP that trades through so many hands um, and is worked on by lots of people and has legacy you connect to characters or brands or or those things because it's not as um, creator forward right because like sure like you know uh, Siegel and Schuster created Superman but the Superman that you like you know might have been written by 10 different people and you don't know any of their names so it's easy to connect to Superman and DC makes Superman um, and I think that that does kind of speak to a little bit of that problem that that you outlined there Sean right of like because we don't necessarily think of comics creators or the average reader maybe doesn't think of comics creators in the same way that you might think of like a band or a musician that you follow where you go and follow the next work not read the next Deadpool story um and that I think kind of creates a little bit of that or contributes to that that issue that you outlined which is is interesting you know I don't really know how you combat that yeah and that's definitely above our pay grade so I will instead say thank you to Ed uh, and thank you to everyone who wrote in again you know we don't do this for money we do this because we love it and we do it because of messages like this that really help keep us moving forward let us know that you guys are enjoying what we're doing um and that it's resonating whether you write in to tell us you enjoy what we do or whether you just write in to talk and get your voice heard like this is your platform as well um you know there were plenty of times when i was young that i did not have an out an outlet to say what i think about comics and now i do and this will always be available for you guys as well. Um, obviously, we're speaking for you, but it's your words. And um, you know, it means a lot that you guys do this. So please continue to do it. You can write in to the show as Jackson Ed did through email at the comicspals at gmail.com. But you can get us on YouTube as well, or you can get us on social. However, you choose to do it is fine. Uh, and 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 if you really want to like show your support, leave us a review. A rating those things are so important i say it every single week and i know how it comes across um but it really is just that important um so if you if you do nothing else for us just go ahead and do that it really is uh super super important and it shows us that you guys are, are enjoying what we're doing uh, so we're going to move forward into the pals polls we're going to start with kale barbalian red planet what is that so this is the finally the trade for uh barbalian it uh is another of the black hammer series this is the martian manhunter oh, I uh, this one. copy yeah uh this one's jeff lemire and and gabriel walta uh and jordy jordy belair i think um mm. yep i'm in with gabriel walta no question right my man knows how to draw <laughs> uh but um barbalian is one of the uh similar to Colonel Weird, one of the less explored uh, Black Hammer characters. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to see his whole history and, and what his connection is to the event. Um, so yeah, another one I'm real excited about. I also noticed just quickly while we're on the Black Hammer topic that I think they're re-releasing dr star and the uh the some things of tomorrow but they've retitled it 
as Doctor Andromeda and the Somethings of Tomorrow. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. And yeah. by all accounts, like it looks like the exact same book. I wonder if there was maybe like a rights issue or something and they needed to. Well, I mean, if that were the case, I don't think Black Hammer could exist because it's all, you know. I didn't mean like uh, with like the like the character, like more like the name. Like if they, I don't know, like maybe they're releasing it with the new name because they want to solidify that this is the new name or something. I don't know. I don't know. Just spitballing. Uh, you also chose the silver coin too. Oh yeah, so I really enjoyed the silver coin one. Yeah. Um, if you got to listen to our uh review from Image, the um uh uh that one was done by Chip Zdarsky and Michael Walsh. It's an anthology series that follows a a, a horrible, no good, terrible coin. <laughs> causes just an awful lot of bad days uh we got a uh, a look at issue two thank you to image for that and uh we will be uh reviewing that uh later today so it'll come out wednesday uh but really looking forward to it um for all intents and purposes i haven't read it yet but very excited about it very excited about the whole series cool uh marco Continues to shout this book out. Maniac of New York number four. Oh, because it's the good stuff. Uh, slasher film in the 80s in the grime of New York City. That's the place for uh, a serial killer who goes bananas in uh, in New York. That's that's the premise. It's a whole bunch of fun. Super action packed. Uh, Andrea Moody on art has been absolutely crushing it. And uh, yeah, go go pick this up. It's been a lot of fun. We've had conversations about the book in in the in the Discord because it's uh, a few people have been reading it and, and really enjoy it as well. It's a lot of fun. We also chose Rorschach number eight, Marco, a man after my heart. Let's go, dude. I've man, last issue was a lot, so much so that I went back to reread issues one through three and like try to pick things up that lead back into issue seven and it was just like there's just so much and i tom king has been impressing me there have been low points in the book but i i don't know man i'm i'm very excited to see where this all coalesces like where where's the end goal here because i thought i had an inkling and (laughs) it was a lie God damn, dude. Maybe I got to get on this book. You guys have definitely it's been really selling me on it. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Um, it's 12 issues, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and yeah. this is only issue eight. And I think one of the points that I made was like, I feel like we've hit the climax, but there was a reveal that then I'm like, he still has four issues. He still has like a story here to tell. And, um, I'm I'm just super interested to see where that's going to end up. Definitely. Uh, Pete chose Time Before Time, number one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> really 
really uh, enjoyed this one. We we got to read it uh, ahead of time uh, for our, our interview with Declan last uh, week. Ahead of time. Oh, shit. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> we did. Uh, for our interview with Declan last week, if you missed that episode, uh, it was a great conversation. Go check it out. Uh, really great time. And uh, I, I, yeah, spoiler alert, I already like this issue. Um, we talked about it last week, and we're going to be reviewing it this week because it comes out. It'll be out on Wednesday alongside our um, Silver Coin number two review. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. I definitely want to see where it goes. And I know Declan said that um, the team has plans for kind of, you know, well, they have their next arc already approved, and they have plans to go beyond if the book is successful. So let's make sure the book's successful, everybody. Go, uh, go support. You also, well, you and I both chose Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow number two. Yeah. Um, I am really stoked on this book. I I really like a good what-if story. Um, I really like Chip's Spider-Man. Um, the few times that I've gotten to read it, um, it's really clicked with me. I feel like I, I really dig the way that he kind of um, writes the character, and it feels like a lot of the books that he is most interested in or that he connected with are very similar to the ones that I did when I was really getting into the character. So I feel like um, because of that, his stuff really works for me. Um, so this being a kind of twisted, dark version of that, that is more akin to some of the, you know, grimier Spider-Man stories in like the late 80s um, and stuff is uh, is cool. And, and I thought the first issue was... Um, was fun you know like it, it's definitely like a what if story so like it has to do a lot and it's you know because of that like it, it's got some of uh it's got some wordiness to it and stuff but like i i really enjoyed what the team was doing on number one and i'm super excited to, to ride the rest of the ride now i chose a very controversial book i chose joker number three now i you fucking knew it i knew it i fucking knew it you told us you're like i won't do it <laughs> now hold on hold on i'm not he's gonna he's about to say he's gonna he's oh don't, don't worry guys i'm gonna buy it digital no hell for no. the for the cardstock <laughs> right i'm not gonna actually buy the book okay i'm not gonna buy it okay mm. i put it on my pals pull this week because I wanted to say that despite the fact that I got crap on the Discord server for, you know, caving in and buying Joker number two, uh, I read it and it's absolutely awesome. It's very, very, very good. And you should all know that I am using a tremendous amount of restraint going forward to not continue to buy Joker. It's very good. So you're no. so you put this on the list just to to brag basically. But you're not going to pick Bra- it. brag. <laughs> to, yeah, well, to, so that when he buys it, he doesn't have to come on the show and cover his ass about it. Uh, I, I like to I'm imagine. I, I like to imagine Sean's walking in, like pulling his books. He's just kind of going. He's like, "Oh, Joker." Puts inside. Like, oh shit! Puts it back outside. He didn't realize that he's actually picked up like two because he has the variant also. And just like <laughs> cover cover C for this book. Is- <laughs> there it is. Right. Yep. There it is. <laughs> That's he, what we're gonna see he, next week. He gets it for fucking Midtown too, so he's gonna he's he's gonna spend like thirty dollars on that cover. He's <laughs> throwing money away. It's, it's six bucks, Kale. Speaking of covers, I had to do it. I don't even read this comic. Crime Syndicate number three came out this week, and it had a hot 
Babs Tar alternate cover for Cheetah. Had to buy it. It was really nice. Of course. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. But So, like, uh, Sean, not- when, when you stroll into Midtown, are they, like, excited? Like, I imagine Sean's like, he's like I the mean, big spender. He just comes in. He's got like a, just a stack of fucking money. He's just chucking $1 bills at these motherfuckers. The person at the front is definitely like, look, look that's the guy that bought Joker too. Look, he's going, look at him. Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal in Midtown. I believe it. Yeah. No, it's bullshit. All right. Um, so I'm not buying Joker 3. That's my declaration. Take it to the bank. I will not read another issue of Joker until the book club, which is going to happen. It has to happen. I'm not spending that money on that book. It's it's probably going to be cheap. You get the trade now. That's fine, right? Yeah, trade with it. Yeah. So we have to we have to start off our news with a bit of well a, a, a big downer. Um, unfortunately, uh, comics great John Paul Leon uh, has passed, and um, he was very young. He was forty nine years old, which is, I mean, you know, yes. very young. Uh, he's maybe not a name that penetrates everyone in terms of you know your fandom um i know him from earth x uh which we did a book club on i'm not saying that to 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 plug us i'm saying that because you know that was a book that i i really enjoyed yeah um and you know he did he you know his his contribution his artwork on that book was one of the things that i enjoyed the most about it so um you know, maybe you know him from there. Maybe you know him from some of his work with Static. Um, maybe was- you know him from some of his Batman stuff. Um, you know, it's just it's just sad. And the community has really, really uh, responded to this, to his passing. Um, he was a New Yorker, uh, born here, just like me in New York. Um, he was one of the people who started Milestone. Um, like I said, he, he was the, the, the artist on static shock, you know, I should say on static, um, you know, and and did so many other things and to see how the industry has responded to him. So many creators, Declan Shalvey, um, you know, put out a, a tweet about how devastated he was by this, uh, Tom King, uh, Tom King said, John Paul Leon was a comic book humanist. He grounded the inherent absurdity of conveying myth and story through inked panels by insisting the emotional struggle of our lived experience be in every line, every picture. And he was a joy of a man, kind and funny to the end, RIP. Uh, that, that's a great tweet by Tom that really summarizes, um, you know, this, this, this person and their impact. But how do you, how do you summarize a human being's life, right? Like no matter what contributions he made to the industry and how great of an artist he was and how inspiring he was to so many people, I'm not going to read all the tweets, but a lot of people talked about how he inspired them. Um, that's not the totality of who he was either. Right. Um, he was a human who had a family who, you know, had dreams and aspirations and, you know, 49, you know, you haven't done it all yet. So that's, really the tragic part of this and it's it it sucks and the only saving grace that i can think of is that he does leave behind a legacy of not only great books great comics that 
you know, people can still go back and see, but also creators whose style is coming, it, it exists because of him. You know, he inspired their style, he inspired them to be artists, he inspired them to keep pushing, and that's something that lives beyond you. And that's that's the beautiful thing about being a creator is you get to do things that live beyond you. And so even though he's not here anymore, his work will always be here. And um, that's beautiful. And for that, you know, we definitely say thank you to John Paul Leon for his contributions to this industry and for the life that he lived. Couldn't say it better than that. <sighs> we're going to we're going to move forward with something that's hopefully a little brighter. We'll brighten our brighten our spirits a little bit here. I'm actually going to uh switch over and get us on video because or you know switch the video because i'm going to show off the uh the uh sizzle reel that marvel put out on social media um this week for all of their new uh all their new offerings so it starts off showing us scenes from stuff we've already seen with a great stan lee um voiceover voiceover yeah yeah, it's very uh it's very nostalgic for sure. Yeah. Uh it's yeah. it's been it worked for me particularly well because um like I mentioned a couple you know weeks ago or whatever, um my fiance and I have been rewatching the the whole series in order because I've never done that and there are a few that she hadn't seen. Um so a lot of this is like very fresh in my mind, you know? I, I haven't seen most of these in a really long time and this really really hit me like i need these movies like they're so important to me seeing chadwick boseman playing black panther they showed him a few times that really hit yeah that hit hard um i i want to go back and watch every single thing here i've like really been enjoying it man like it's been really really cool to rewatch them and and kind of yeah this was fun this thing th this part was just really cool yeah yeah this gets me every single time uh for the audio listeners it's the part where it's the uh avengers endgame audience reaction and it's like the avengers assemble moment and everybody's just losing their shit yeah this <laughs> this was bonkers in theaters and like anyone who says that the theater experience isn't it doesn't matter or whatever like you can't have that at home like mm. that's that's uniquely movie theater yeah marco Hey man, I don't want people yelling and cheering in my in my fucking living room. But here's the part where they're showing stuff from the new movies. Yeah. And this is this is what everybody was going crazy over. We're watching some stuff from Black Widow, some new stuff, some old stuff. Um, you know, we've all kind of we get the point with Black Widow, I think, already. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> we, but, we get the point. I mean they've they've the had to put nine. out so many trailers. Shang-Chi though. Yeah, okay. this is fire. Okay. I'm so I'm really excited for this movie, man. Like I'm totally down for a good old fashioned kung fu movie. Eternals this is our first footage from Eternals. I know. Oh my god, Angelina with that blonde hair. Are you kidding me? She looks she crazy. Looks awesome. Yeah, I really wanted more because uh, I have like yeah, Dude. I have like no context for any of this stuff. So there was definitely an amount of it of just like what what is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll stop you guys. We got Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That's a new title, July 8, 2022. The Marvels, November 11, 2022. That's the sequel to Captain Marvel. Ant-Man Ant and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy, May 5th, 2023. And Fantastic Four, uh, the, the Fantastic Four logo over top of the Marvel Studios logo with no date. 
uh, and then see you at the movies, of course. Um, a lot of people, you know, the cynical among us saying that this was their big pitch to get us back in movie theaters. Yeah, duh. Um, <laughs> what do they what they don't want us in theaters? Of course they want us in theaters. Um, this to me was so exciting, such a big surprise. And Marvel Studios is very tasteful for like I don't even know how else to put it. Like they just do things in a way that's like very tactful it feels good to watch these things it doesn't feel like a marketing tool even though it obviously is they use our emotions for these characters and for these experiences to sell us on the future disney has always been very very good at that yeah yeah i i think that's a thing right where like a lot of people i think have that kind of cynical attitude when it comes to like corporations playing on your emotions for this kind of stuff but like I don't, I don't know. I don't feel that way about this because it's not like, to me, it's not doing anything but like giving you a sizzle reel of things that you enjoyed. And it's like, mm-hmm. hey, like, thank you for coming on this journey with us together. Here's where we're going next. And we're right. excited and you're excited. And, you know, and then again, right, this moment of everybody in the theater sharing it, like, you know, love them or hate them, like the MCU has been a cultural touchstone for a long time. You know, it's one of the most um, relatable things, I would say, in popular culture right now, right? Yeah. In terms of like, everybody pretty much goes and sees these movies, regardless of who they are and what they're into or whatever, right? Like, it's like sports or something, you know? Um, and And I think like, to me, this is earned. You know, you're allowed to play on my heartstrings because you've been keeping me entertained for over 10 years. So I'm like, yeah, like I'm with it. Like, I I am excited. I do like this. Like, you know, I I don't know. For me, I'm here for it. You know, I like the MCU. I don't feel cynical about it. Me neither, obviously. Um, I think it's cool. And I think that uh, the reality is that these movies have penetrated people's hearts. So it's not as if they're they're trying to sell us on something fake. Like the motions that we feel for these things are real and genuine. And they're just showing us that uh, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like DC where they just send out a, a goon to go tell us about what movies they're producing. They, <laughs> they want to make as they sit there in their ivory tower and their suits talking about, wouldn't it be great if we made uh, uh, another justice league movie or the 37,000th Batman movie? Ha ha ha. You know, like that'll make a lot of money. This feels different than that. So thank you to Marvel. I love this stuff. And, you know, it, it's great to get these these movies, the dates and titles. The Marvels, again, a Captain Marvel sequel that will, based on that title, clearly feature more than just Captain Marvel. This will likely feature, well, we know for a fact it's going to feature Tiana Paris as um, uh, Monica Rambeau, how whatever her superhero name will be, we'll get that there. And Photon, also, let's go. <laughs> Sorry? I said fucking photon, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and presumably uh Miss Marvel Kamala Khan. Now uh, we know she's been seen in costume. We've seen those set photos already. Uh, the, Mar- the Marvels and Miss Marvel, the, the show and the movie are filming uh in similar spaces. So the idea is likely that she's able to, you know, bounce between sets in Atlanta. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay. That's a good idea. Also worth pointing out, this could open the door for an Ultimates franchise. Not the Ultimates like the Ultimate Comics line, but the Ultimates, uh, the 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 616 super team of Captain Marvel, um, Photon, Blue right. Marvel, and Black Panther. 
obviously Black Panther is is, is not probably going to be we won't be seeing T'Challa again. You could throw Shuri in there sure. if they go down that road, but I think that might be something they're looking at doing. <sighs> Shit, or maybe even like someone from the Dora Milaje, like. I- I don't know. Like, I, I, I wonder if we're going to see some of those characters, like, be, like, you know, like, Io obviously had, like, a pretty big role in um, Falcon Winter Soldier. So, like, maybe that's, like, another angle you could go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of ways you can take that. Uh, noticeably absent, of course, is no footage from Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which... You know, people are really, really upset about, but the reality is that they're not going to show us anything from that until we've seen at least Black Widow. Because remember that they're trying to pump you up for the movies that are imminent. Yeah. And, you know, COVID happened. And yeah, we've been waiting for Spider-Man for a while, but they had to basically put everything on hold for a year. So mm-hmm. that's the role. That's the way the rollout's going to be. Yeah, I I I. I think that's one of those things where, like, if you're upset about that, that's because, like, you got your hype level is, you know, kind of and no, no, no problem with this. But your hype levelers are like through the roof on that one because that's so far out. Like they we just saw Eternals for the first time, you know, and it was like 10 seconds, not even (laughs) we got like four frames of that movie. So, like, wait until we get a full Eternals trailer before you even flirt with the idea of getting a look at Spider-Man 3. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but again, this was a really cool thing that Marvel did. Um, and uh, a real quick, I also wanted to mention uh, before we move on, Blade. A lot of people were talking about Blade and wanting to see footage from there. Blade does not even have a director. So um, there's not going to be any footage and there's not going to be any announcements about that. You, you got to chill. Blade, Sean, far out. I, I'm upset. Um, that you would insinuate that they couldn't show me some footage from a movie that doesn't have a director. Um, it implies that they can't do that. Right, it does. All I've uh, truly though, all they need to do is just give us a picture of Marshall Ali in like a trench coat, <laughs> and like people will be like, "Oh fuck!" Like, <laughs> put some, you know, the fake teeth, the fangs yeah. in there. Like, like That's all we really up. need. Put may, yeah. put him some put some red contacts in his eyes. You know. <laughs> That'd be a good Halloween picture. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop sharing, but I'm gonna immediately have to get back into it because we actually have a trailer to watch from uh the Hellfire Gala. Let's the Hellfire Gala got a go. Yes, yes. So I'm gonna gonna jump back into that and we're gonna talk about this trailer uh from the Hellfire Gala. It's pretty cool. So um it's got a voiceover from you know a woman you could imagine works for like, you know, e-television or whatever. And it's showcasing uh, all these moving pictures of the characters, you know, at the red carpet, the green carpet, as they refer to it as at the Hellfire Gala. You get to see all these awesome costumes. I fucking love this so much. (laughs) Look at Storm. She looks amazing. This, the Hellfire Gala is like the most extra thing. And I'm so about it. Like that invite. That invite. Some people were actually sent invitations. For Get out. <gasps> yeah, yeah, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you weren't here. Yeah, you missed that one. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked all about that. So oh. one interesting wrinkle is that other MC uh, Marvel characters are invited as well to wow. the game. Wow. Oh, interesting. What? Okay. They're just, they're just showing up in their costumes like a bunch yeah. of fucking rubes. <laughs> they're going to so like garbage. The, qu- the question there, Kale, is... Did they do that on purpose because they didn't want to represent the event or did the 
uh, mutants not tell them it was a sp- an occasion they should dress up for because they don't want them to. Mm, interesting. And this is a look at all the titles that we can uh, that we'll have to follow in order to get the full story of the actual gala event. I'm so excited. Um, Marauders 21, X-Force 20, X-Factor 10, Planet Size, uh, X-Men number one, X-Corp number two, New Mutants 19, Hellions 12, X-Caliber 21, X-Men 21, Wolverine 13, Sword number six, and Way of X number three. That's 12 titles in total that will encompass the story of the Hellfire Gala. Um, I smell another 10 of swords. (laughs) No, that was 22 issues. This is only 12, 10 less. Yeah, I'm I'm very pumped for this event. It looks super super cool. We already know all about it. Like it's I'm ready. Like let's yeah. do this, yeah. you know? Yeah, I'm I'm here. Um, yeah, it's super it's super exciting. Uh but that's not all we know. We actually also know that there're going to be celebrity appearances at the gala as well. Ooh. So No, there's um, not. What? Yes, Elon, there are. Elon Musk going to come up. <laughs> shoot his dumb mouth off again i don't think the mutants want elon musk at their event exactly however we know that uh eminem will be at the gala oh he's gonna be the musical star or the guest <laughs> is don't he per- know is he performing or just in attendance <laughs> he's in attendance okay he's in attendance right. uh we know that uh conan o'brien will be there oh man uh ira glass who is a a, a podcaster what and radio fuck? host yep. <laughs> actually that NPR, one makes more yeah. sense that makes sense <laughs> and many more uh and these are not going to be things that are necessarily like explicitly pointed out when you read the book so you will have to pay attention to see who you can spot okay and what they're wearing uh so that's going to be pretty cool um, I want to see what Eminem's outfit looks like for sure. I know, right? Yeah. Eminem is a diehard comic book fan, by the way. So um, he did. He was in one book with with Punisher, who's his favorite character. Really? Yeah. There's an Eminem Punisher comic out there. Very strange. But what an industry. I know, right? So. Uh, in that teaser trailer that we just watched, they teased a secret uh, announcement that would that would drop within the gala itself. I take that to mean that it's an announcement in universe, not necessarily like a book title announcement or anything like that. So that's something to watch for. Um, but then also we learned this week that there is going to be a storyline coming up called the Trial of Magneto. Um, we don't know anything about it. We just know uh, that there was a a promo image put out uh, with art by John Romita Jr. that features Magneto with some train tracks underneath him that are, you know, warped to do to his powers. He's in his black costume. Um, and it says the trial that threatens to divide mutant kind. Stay tuned next week for more information about the trial of Magneto coming in August. Uh, all I can get out of that is it's unlikely that magneto will be put on trial in my mind by the mutants themselves right he hasn't done anything yeah it's i guess it's hard to say because like if something's gonna happen that we don't know about yet and then like that's where it goes sure okay maybe that's the case but i would say that's kind of my initial gut reaction too 
yeah, he's one of the two major leaders of the mutant mutant situation on Krakoa. Um, obviously, like you said, the it's inevitable that something in the Hellfire Gala will lead into this story, given the the closeness of the of the time frame, June to August. Don't know what it is, obviously. Um, is Magneto going to kill a human? One of the one of the attendees? Maybe. Are we Captain America? AVX two. <laughs> AVX again. Um I I feel like I feel like that could be the case. I feel like it could also be and this is like a, a very half baked theory, right? But we talked about how Charles is on the X-Men team, right? And that that could mean oh, yeah. hmm. and he had made a, a thing about how being on the X-Men team meant that Gene and Scott couldn't have a place on the Quiet Council. I'm wondering if maybe the trial of Magneto taught is tied to some other faction within hmm. Krakoa who's trying to take over the quiet council or consolidate power and wants oh. to get Magneto out of the picture because Charles is no longer has a seat at the table. Charles's closest allies, you know, have a smaller seat at the table. And if Magneto's out of the picture, the guiding forces of, you know, the establishment of, of the council and its rules and everything will be removed. Um, and also apocalypse is gone. That's right. So, like, that is a lot of volatility. That would mean, like, what? Uh, five members of the Quiet Council will be replaced? Um, I wonder if maybe this is, like, a play by Shaw. So, it's think, a, yeah. so, so the title you're saying is a, a sort of a misdirect. It's not bang, bang, you're guilty, go to jail trial. It's a, a gauntlet, as it were. Yeah, maybe. Interesting. I think the question that's more interesting than what te- what is the X Men team going to look like? We already know what they're going to look like, sure. but like, I think the question that's more interesting is what will the Quiet Council look like once they repopulate it? Mm-hmm. Because that's gonna that dictates the future of mutants more than anything else, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing that's really uh, broken out of this, it's not been explicitly stated, I don't think. But it's safe to say at this point, Storm is leaving the X Men. She's leaving. She's she's leaving mutant kind. What? Yeah. Um, if you look at the cover to uh, Marauders, I don't remember what issue it is. I think it's. I'm not sure if it's if it's out now or if it's coming. I think it's it's coming out. But it shows her standing on the edge of like an island, looking out into the sky and stars. And over top, you see her and Kitty and. Um, someone else in their old costumes and it's kind of like her reflecting on the past and they said in the trailer we just watched that she has an announcement that's c- gonna shape right. yeah so it's pretty clear that she's Ooh. she's leaving um and that's gonna have huge ramifications because obviously storm is the first mutant that you see when you get resurrected um she's the one who leads that that movement and obviously she's a pillar of the community so um i think they might be telling that story of like a lot of mutants are, are who are powerful in politically speaking are stepping down or leaving and whoever the new guard is going to be there might be some problems there especially if mystique ends up having some more power sure yeah 
and I, I mean, like, like there's it... already conflict within the remaining people, right? Like uh, Emma and Kitty are obviously at odds with Shaw, and you know, like I could see Nightcrawler leaving the council to go break off and do what he's focusing on in Way of mm-hmm. X. Like you could really see how the whole thing can be very quickly destabilized. Yeah, yeah. I would. I feel like I would have liked to have seen uh, these players in their roles a little bit longer. Like it feels like it's only been what like a year, a year and a half. Um Yeah, we haven't seen Storm do anything. Yeah. I would have I would have liked to have seen more of her outside of like the um, I think she was in one of the giant size. Um Yeah, well she also she did also go to Wakanda and steal <laughs> yeah. a sword and everything. That was pretty big. <laughs> okay, you're right. We saw her do one thing. Yes. I agree with you though that Storm has been severely underutilized in this era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I, I. The the future of the X Men is so exciting, and you know it's funny. We've talked a lot about how it feels like we've been in a holding pattern, and now we're just rushing into you know what what it feels like is going to be this really cool uh, period for them. And I can't wait. June cannot come fast enough. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, it's funny because what was like you said, it was like two, three weeks ago. You were kind of like, where are we at? And we're all like, I'm feeling frustrated. And now it's like, oh, man, I see where we're going. And I'm I'm, I'm back in, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Drive me there. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what they could have done differently. I just feel like the stories between Ten of Swords and, and, and now to getting to the Hellfire Gala have not been. Um, that great. Maybe if we left Ten of Swords feeling better, we wouldn't have this feeling. Yeah. Maybe we'd be more willing to accept the cooldown period. Um, but uh, either way, super excited for the future. June, uh, we'll you know we'll be reviewing all this. So uh, stick with us if you enjoy that. What's the what's the the date? June. Um, I want to say that uh, the very first the die will be cast June second. I, I believe. June 2nd. And then June sixteenth is the release of Planet Sized X Men. Let's Great. let's move forward. Uh, we've got two two things that uh, I really want to talk about. They go together, even though they're not they're not exactly based around the same thing. So the first one is that Red Sonia uh, has found its titular uh, the, the the actor to play its titular character. So Hannah John Kamen, who you will know from Ant Man and the Wasp, she played Ghost in that movie. She will be playing Red Sonia in a future film. Uh, this is going to be coming from uh, one of the people behind the in- interesting, the upcoming Tomb Raider animated series, uh, oh. which I didn't even know about. So that's pretty cool. Um, now, the thing is obviously that uh, Hannah doesn't look like red sonia um red sonia obviously has red hair red sonia is obviously white um and you know physically imposing to a degree um and that has sparked an uproar in in people they're upset that you know hannah doesn't resemble red sonia they're upset that you know it, it appears to be, especially in conjunction with the story we're about to talk about, that it's very fine with Hollywood to uh, not be respectful to the origins of these characters and, and their appearances or, you know, whatever details people have connected with uh, Hollywood seems comfortable with 
altering. Um, and so that's been a big point of contention this week in conjunction with this piece of news coming from the Hollywood Reporter that Warner Brothers is in earnest searching for a black Superman. We talked about this story a month ago, it was one of our main topics, you know, whether or not the world is ready for a black Superman. And at that time, it was conjecture. It was not a guarantee that this was going to happen. This was a rumor we were responding to. The Hollywood Reporter is saying that this is confirmed on their part. This is what is happening. Um, they're looking for a black director as well. The key element that a lot of people have connected with is that this is not Calvin Ellis. This isn't, you know, some new character. This is Kal-El. This is Clark Kent. That will just be black now. So I'm putting these two stories together because they're about the same thing. Um, how do you guys feel about these ideas? The, the idea of these characters, you know, being put on screen potentially very different than we know them. So... To start with the the Red Sonia thing, I think that it, that feels a little different to me, um, because, and maybe this is coming from a place of ignorance, but like I don't think Red Sonia is the same as Superman. Like casting a person of color as Superman is like more of a statement, I think, and I think that that like carries more weight. Um, so like I. I I don't know. I, I guess to, my point being, right, with with Red Sonia, the idea of being like, oh, well, she doesn't look like Red Sonia. It's like, well, wait till you see her in the costume, right? Yeah. Like, they're going to dye her hair. They're, they're going to give her a wig. That's a really good, expensive wig. Um, they're going to, you know, she's going to get buff. And she's going to, you know, be in the costume and whatever, right? And you'll feel a different way about it then probably. And maybe some people won't. But to me, like... We, we come back to this conversation so often with superhero casting, right? Where it's like, oh, well, Hugh Jackman's too tall to be Wolverine. It's like, well, who cares? You know, like, really, I don't, that doesn't matter that much. Um, and, and I think it was the last time we talked about this. I don't even remember who the character was. It was She-Hulk, I think. Similar thing where they like, go, oh, she's not big and buff. And I remember Sean made the, I think it was you who made the point anyway, of like, so you're telling me that they got to find somebody who is a bodybuilder who looks exactly like them and also can act well enough to right. carry a fucking franchise. Like, that's not how it works. And if you think that's how it works, I think it's just like showing uh, like a, a certain level of ignorance to like what it takes to actually carry a fucking leading role, right? It's more important that you're a good actor who can embody the spirit and the, the um, you know the 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 skin of the character right and like who they are and who she is and what she's about rather than that you look like her right if you want someone that looks exactly like red sonia i'm sure there's about 35 cosplayers you can go find who look exactly like her who can't act their way out of a paper bag absolutely no disrespect um different skill sets right uh so i think like that to me is the thing you need to just like get over and like give it the room it needs to like fucking like see where we go right if we get there and she's nothing like red sonia and it's not uh true to the character and you feel some kind of way about that as a fan that's a different conversation let's have that conversation then right now i feel like you're getting mad about something that like we don't even know enough about to even like have a take about it frankly except for the fact that like she's got acting chops right so that's pretty cool yeah um 
I think I would disagree a little bit in that this isn't that the, that this is different just because I think what ends up um at least different from Superman um is because we can look at uh, Red Sonia and uh Superman as having different consequences for changing the um the physical appearance um for example Red Sonia um her family is from the west the western hurricanian steppes right so who gives a shit what color necessarily she is and i've always thought of um depending on the artist's depiction she can she can be a varying uh of varying ethnicities and um at least from some of the art that i've seen just generally uh it's not always white she's uh, she has different skin tones and you know it's it's no big deal for me i think um the issue comes in with the implication of superman being black because it's in the u.s like like there's the differentiating factor is that 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 introduces things that um would get addressed uh specific to his treatment in kansas um whereas you know she's on mars who gives a shit right it's there's there's no there's no cultural repercussion necessarily and i think that that's probably the most interesting part and that's where i would draw the distinguishing line um because i don't i for for me the red swinder piece whatever for the black superman piece i think it's um i would be interested to see how that plays out because it 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 kind of reminds me of our conversation about um uh like the falcon book club right like where like how does how does a uh, a black man take up the mantle and how do people respond to it and the one of the things that we mentioned in the last episode of we watched falcon uh with with uh, with sean that you know we we're gonna see anthony mackie physically take up the role of captain america and be the black lead superhero and the meta conversation there is like how our audience is going to react to a black captain america but also a black man being that lead titular character for the avengers for the next wave uh, presumably and i think that's the um, that's the part that uh for me can you make him black yes will it pan out i mean we'll see how audiences take it i i I have no issue with it i suspect um there's a large portion of people that might have just for purity reasons but um for me it doesn't rub me the wrong way i'm just gonna see what the the backlash can can be because uh it's it's a big it's a big decision in that sense yeah i think when it comes to the the black superman angle of it like that's something that um i don't know i feel like when you have a character that exists for as long as as superman has and has taken so many different shapes and and forms based on who was writing him or like the attitudes of the time and and all these things like i don't know like i understand um being precious about it and having this idea of like, well, this is what it is and this is like what it should be. Uh, but I also feel like there's room for different interpretations and, and to do something that is different and that is going to push in a, a, a much different direction. And 
um, and reinvent things in a way, you know, um, that's something that I, I feel like I've gotten more comfortable with as I've gotten older and like have read more and watched more. And like, you know, I guess it's just like how many, not to say that there aren't more to tell, but how many times can you do the same thing over and over again? Right. And like, let's maybe like look for opportunities to, to iterate and do something that's, that's fresh or different or that like says something different with the character um, and, and tries to leverage it in a way that it hasn't been leveraged before. Um, I think that I'm, I'm open to that. I, it's not necessarily something that I'm like clamoring for. Um, but I think if you get the right creative team together and you put together something that, you know, uh, feels authentic and true and, and is of quality, like that to me is really all I care about more and more you know, um, is like, does any piece of art engage me on a level that I want it to, right? Does it make me feel something? Does it make me think? Um, that's what I care about the most. Uh, and I, I'm okay with, uh, creative liberties being taken. Um, I guess as needed, as long as it's like in the, the pursuit of something that is like, genuine and and good and not um you know like uh to check some box or meet some mandate right like that's that's where i think it gets into a place where it feels uh like gross or exploitive or something like that and i I think as long as that's not you know what the project is then like i'm willing to give it a shot and see you know what it does and what it what it means and and how i feel about it and how other people feel about it you know how about you kill yeah, I feel very similar to to Pete, um, but I think I, I you know I don't have much more to add. But I, what I think what I find more interesting is listening to the opinions about it, you know, other than you know the shitty ones that are just like, "Well, Superman can't be black," whatever. Okay, fine. Like you know, I I want to hear the dialogue. Um. But yeah, I mean, if there's, if the creator is there to tell a certain story, then he should be able to. Um, and this is the one from Ta-Nehisi Coates, right? Yeah, he's written screenplay. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, makes sense to me. Uh, so we we talked about the the black Superman angle as I mentioned earlier already. I expressed that I personally don't really need this. Um, but at that time we were really discussing the idea of like Superman, the moniker, Superman, the idea, not Kal-El, not Clark Kent that I have a, that I object to wholeheartedly. Um, I don't think the idea of the mantle you're saying, no, the idea of the man, the human being, not the human, but the character of Clark Kent, the Kryptonian character being color swapped got it is not something that i think they should do at all like you want to take a gamble on a calvin ellis movie go for it like at least that's an established character who has an identity you can rock with that i'm with it but to take clark kent who is a character that a lot of people have you know real genuine love for and feelings for and just just palette swap them like i understand how that sounds for me to say that but that's how it feels when i hear that because 
you don't, why would you do that? Like, why would you take a character? And it, 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 we're not talking about ghosts. Like, uh, Hannah and John came and played ghosts. She, you know, ghost is a guy in the comics. Yeah. yeah. They, they gender swapped that character, but that they made that character into someone wholly different from the, the, the comic book version. And the comic book version is not like that popular, right? Like that's very much a C-list villain. Sure. You don't do that with like you 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 don't do that with Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. Like those are characters that have existed, will continue to exist in a certain way, and I feel that that's to be left alone. Um, you 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 know like, and and people say, well, well, how would you feel if you did that with Black Panther? It's I, I don't I don't think that's the same thing because Black Panther was created with race in mind. Black Panther wasn't made black. Like the creator wasn't just like, all right, he's black, right? Right, right. That yeah. was a that's a part and parcel. You can't have Black Panther be white because that's not. He's the same a king thing. of an African nation, right? Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but in this case, even though Superman's whiteness is not necessarily tethered to um, his character. I think that there are arguments to be made that 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 is the case that he is, that it is sure um, because Clark Kent being a white man is part of why he can pass and no one suspects him. He slips into the background because the background is default white. He's from Kansas. He's a, a, a an everyman person from America. You think, but actually he's an alien. It's the similar thing with the with the mutants of the X-Men Cyclops and Jean are white straight people who look normal, but they're not. And that's the story. And I think that you, it changes like Marco said, it changes when you make that character black, you cannot tell the same kinds of stories with both, you know, a, a black Superman and a white one, because he won't be received the same way. You can't make a movie where you're trying to tell me that America loves Superman and he's black. I don't believe you. I just don't. Let me ask you a question though. How do you feel about the idea of it? Of it, like, like, what if it grapples with that? Like, not just being it like, has to. right, right. But like, is that something that you feel like could work? Like, with like someone like you know Tanisi Coates writing it, and you know, if we get a good director, um, like, are you saying you have zero interest in that kind of story or that like? you feel like there's too much baggage to make that like work for you, I guess. First of all, I think that there's going to be a very bad reaction to this, to this movie existing, like putting me aside. I think a lot of people will be very angry about this once it becomes a real thing, mm -hmm. but now factoring me in. Yeah. I think, I think any story by a talented creative team can be good for sure. And I think it can penetrate it and can, it can accomplish all the things you would think a movie like this has to accomplish. But at the end of the day, if at any point I'm supposed to believe that, you know, white America accepts this character, I'm not, I'm not going to accept that. I can't accept that. Um, and it's different because like, for example, we talked, Marco brought up Captain America, uh, Falcon doesn't have powers. And even if he did, his powers can't end life on earth. Superman's powers can end life on earth. If a black person has those powers, that's a very, very different conversation than if a lily white, you know, corn fed person from Kansas has, them. 
It's not the same. And is it a story I'd be down to read in a comic book? Yeah, like we already have. But when you only get, you know, what was the last Superman movie? Uh, the last Man movie Steel, to feature right? Superman was Justice League. So oh, that was sure. so that was five years ago or something. The last Superman movie was Man of Steel. That was a very long time ago. That was almost 10 years ago. So if you're a person who loves Clark Kent, right? What does what does this do to you? The fact that he's black matters. And you can't just say, oh, well, you don't like black people. It's not the same. It's not going to be the same kind of story. If you just want Clark Kent Superman stories, you're not getting that from this movie. You need something different. Yeah. And that has to be something that you can accept. And if you can't accept that, in my opinion, that does not make you a racist. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think what you're saying is totally fair. Because like, for it to be authentic, it has to be a different kind of story. It can't just be like, the Clark Kent Superman that we, you know, that we know and love. Um, and I, and I, I think you made this point when we talked about it last time where it's like, I, I get feeling some kind of way about that. And I, I think I also um, would lament that on some level because we haven't had a good one. Like there hasn't been a good uh, Superman movie in the modern era, really. Um, so like, I would like that. You know, um, so the idea of like getting something different when we haven't even gotten the regular thing, like, yeah, I, I like exactly, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah, like I, I definitely respect that. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have a rebuttal to that. You know, I guess it's just more like, if this is what we're getting, then like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And and how could yep. it, how could it come together in a way that would be um, resonant? You know, I don't think I don't even think not taking away from what you're saying. I don't even think that that's I don't think that's material because it's going to work. You know, like when you assemble a squad creatively that consists of Ta-Nehisi Coates, presumably uh, a high profile director like Shaka King, who did um, Judas and the Black Messiah, or you get a guy like Ryan Coogler. And you cast either an actor the caliber of a Michael B. Jordan or you go in the direction of an unknown who's super talented, who's working the indies right now today. When you do that, right, we've seen the success already. We know that those kinds of things. Came sure. It's, it's less about that only in the sense that this is a movie that has to make money. This is a movie that has to bring people through those doors. And a lot of people love Superman. So if you don't, appeal to those people, if they can't accept this, then what happens? I'm not saying that, you know, all Superman fans can't go to the movies and watch a movie with, with Black Clark, Clark Kent. I'm just saying that there's a risk involved yeah. that I'm very interested to see how it pans out. Yeah, yeah, that's totally, yeah, that's that's fair. Um. I'm so curious to hear how other people feel about this. And when you, if you write in to talk to us about this, or if you, if you make a comment in the discord, I want you to be as honest as you can, because I don't care about you saying like, Oh, I, I, I can't accept this. If you can't accept a black Clark Kent, that's cool with me because I don't know if I can either. And I have to wait and see if I can, I'll be in the movie theater. I'm not going to protest the movie. That's insane. Um, I'll go to it and I'll watch it and I'll watch it with an open mind. 
But I want to have the conversation because I think it's important that we have the conversation. Like Kale said, the dialogue is the most important part of this whole thing. How we feel about this is the most important part. Yeah, as long as, you know, I mean, that's like the comics pals thing, man. As long as you uh, respect your opinion or express your opinion in a way that's respectful, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. You think uh, you think they got black people on Krypton? Yeah, probably. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. They got white people on Krypton. I would assume so. <laughs> uh, they haven't they haven't invented them yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got one last thing to talk about. J. Scott Campbell had a big week, and uh, he's gotten himself in some hot water <laughs> once again for something he did. 10 years ago, which has to suck. Uh, we're going to dive into that right now. So J. Scott Campbell, for those of you who don't know, is a comic book artist who is, I, I would say he mostly does covers. I, I, I can't think of many times I've seen his interiors. Uh, obviously, feel free to let me know what he's done. Uh, but I know him for covers primarily. And so in 2009, yeah. he did the cover for uh, 601 of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. And it's, you know, very simple. It's Mary Jane uh, on a couch uh, kind of looking looking back at Spider-Man as he has left to go be Spider-Man. Um, and it's a pretty run-of-the-mill concept for a cover. What makes it controversial is her dress and the way that she's kind of sitting. Um, I'll describe it for anyone who isn't looking at it right now, although I encourage you to check it out. She kind of is like sitting with a coffee cup and her arms are, are down and her, her, her arms, her elbow area is kind of like pushing up against her breasts. Yeah. And, um, she has a shirt on that has Spider-Man on it, but it's cut in a way that reveals her cleavage, uh, a lot. Do you want to share it for the YouTube people? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Cool. I can, I can, uh, I can share it. Um, oof. actually, I'm not going to do that. Okay. No problem. The, the, yeah. The website that I have it from, I don't want to link to. Um, I only, I'm only on this website because I needed a reference for this story, but, um, you should not, no one should go to this website. Um, <laughs> okay. Tumblr.com. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a comics gate website. I don't even want to promote it. Um, so that's the, that's the image. So go find it. It's, it's, it's pissed off a lot of people for a lot of years. Now, what happened is that a Tumblr user, uh, this was a while ago. This was like seven months ago, uh, who went by the name non-binary Finn dash Mertens. They, they have since changed their Tumblr name. I'm not going to use their new Tumblr name because that's not the point of this. And it's just, they should be left alone at this point. Yeah. I don't want to like send hate um, their way. <laughs> They they chose to, quote unquote, fix J. Scott Campbell's art, and they shared a link to their to to what they did. They shared the image of the original art and then uh, adjacent to that, they shared their version their new version of the art and again i would share this but it includes their new name so i'm not i'm gonna avoid that um go, please go look for it you will be able to find it it's it's all over the place at this point um and so they the, in the body of the post they said i made an attempt at fixing this because it was so bad lol it's not perfect but it's better than what it was so that's all that matters lol just don't look 
too closely at it, it's fine. And uh, may as well tag this at Tumblr channel that a lot of people folk use to uh, fix comic art that they don't like. Yeah. Uh, so what this person did was uh, in the original image, MJ's legs are kind of like one is uh, uh, bent upwards and one is bent under her if that makes oh, sense. Oh holy shit. Yeah, she's sitting on like her right leg is kind of tucked like as if you were sitting like on your feet kind of the way that people do and then her other one's like up and to the side and like all the way up. It's very right. jangly. <laughs> in the new version, uh her she's sitting in like a how would how would one describe this? Like on 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 knees kind of sitting with your yeah. with your legs under you on knees. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the arms are not pushed up against the body uh, and the shirt is not ripped as to show off as much cleavage as possible. The waistline isn't as thin. Right. Um, And the shirt itself is actually, um, there's more material to it. It's not a like the belly shirt, basically, Um, whereas it is in the initial image. Now, J. Scott Campbell, recently saw this got word of what took place and 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 saw this and was very offended and so what he chose to do is he chose to uh fix the fixed version of his piece and he posted this on twitter and it's all over the place at this point he said over the weekend, a famous cover of mine featuring MJ from Spider-Man got a lot of attention again when it began circulating on Tumblr, Twitter, and eventually on Facebook. You see, someone going by the name of non-binary Finn Mertens took to fixing the artwork, as they put it, and, well, that got a lot of people talking. Now, typically, I just ignore this sort of thing, but it seemed to go a bit viral with even friends and colleagues reposting and explaining that this sort of correcting of others' well-established artists is just, well, tacky, which it is. In light of this, though, I decided to embrace the situation and do a little bit of art fixing myself. What do you think? Seems trendy. I'm up for new things. So let's have some fun and fix stuff. So uh, he says, first, we have non-binary's initial fixing of my artwork. Be respectful now, as NBF clearly states. It's not perfect and don't look too closely at it. It's fine. Seems NBF might feel a bit sensitive about their art. Two, I take my opportunity to return the favor and generously offer my critic my critique of NBF's fixing. NBF didn't ask for my criticism, but that's okay. I'm just giving that away. Uh, three, I took time out of my busy, busy schedule to redraw and fix all of NBF's mistakes, and there were many. I then share how their artistic vision would be improved with my fixing. Feel free to look as closely as you want to. Hey, maybe non-binary fin is onto something. Maybe unsolicited correcting no one asked for it is fun hope this was educational kids and then he proceeds to annihilate this person's version of his artwork um i'm not gonna read off the entire um all the alterations that he made or all the points of critique that he did but he basically put up an image of the the original version of the fixed version with all of the mistakes or artistic you know uh, inconsistencies intact and criticized them all, right? He, he pointed out uh, that MJ's clavicle on the image doesn't look quite right, that that the the um, that there's like a bulbous uh, arm thing going on. The forearm. The forearm, thank you. Um, and and things things of that nature. 
<clears throat> and then he presented a, a fixed version of that um, that stays in line with what NBF was trying to do. But obviously, J. Scott Campbell is extremely talented, so he he optimized it, if you will. Now, there are two camps to this conversation. There's one camp that says, why would J. Scott Campbell care that some random on Tumblr did this, that he's obviously very uh, successful in his industry and that he should have better things to do with his time than this and that he should suck it up and accept that someone criticized him. On the other hand, there are people saying, no, that's not how art works. You don't, uh, this isn't, this goes well beyond art criticism. You don't fix other people's art. It's fair to have a critique of someone's work, but when you choose to take what they did and quote unquote, make it better, that you couldn't do anything more disrespectful to someone's, to someone who is an artist and that an and artist themselves should know better than that. So those are the two camps. Mm. And this is the conversation that I want to have here on the show as we get into our main topic and, 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 and everything. Where do you guys stand on this issue? I think I fall into both of those camps you just laid out of like, uh, he, he said he has a busy, busy schedule. Uh, so the response is definitely petty. Um, and, uh, but I, but I, I would agree that like going about fixing people's art is, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's definitely not something that is satisfying to see as an artist or as a creator there's there's no need for it what's there is there and you can definitely agree if there's like structural issues with the form with the way that things work you know that's what we do on a uh, on a weekly basis when we're reviewing books you know like we, we can look at the art and we can see the either what works what doesn't and and say so but going about and being like this is how it should be done I mean, at that point, you're just getting mad because something wasn't, in my opinion, some, you're getting mad that something wasn't the way that you thought it should be. But like, who cares? Who are you? And uh, in Campbell's response, who are you to then be responding to that anyway? Like, ultimately, what does it matter for either camps outside of it being like some petty bullshit? I want to I want to stop. I'm sorry, Kale. I just want to point out because I, I neglected to say this. The reason that this piece of art is controversial is because of the way that it portrays MJ. People feel that it was over sexualizing her and um, that it kind of became like the, the flagship for the over sexualization of female characters in comics. I would say this and the the cover for uh, Spider Woman, yeah. where she's bent over, and you can see, you know, it's Milo Minara cover. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. So go ahead, Kill. Uh, to Marco's last point, uh, I think I, I think the thing is like he probably doesn't care. Like he, J. Scott Campbell has a very specific style, and it's gotten him a lot of work for a lot of years. But I think I think the thing was that this was uh, getting buzz, you know, even if it was just a little bit old, mm. uh, and there was a conversation happening. So I think, you know, he probably just wanted to smash that conversation and you know put an end to it. Uh, yeah, I I also fall in both camps, but I think I lean more on Campbell's side. 
because as I said, the dude's got a style and he does it on purpose. Like you don't get what he does without knowing how human anatomy works. It's not like he's, you know, like a hack doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like he's a hack. He spent a lot of time crafting his, his art so that he could make a career out of it. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's bad. Granted, yes, the criticism that it oversexualizes and, you know, maybe isn't quite anatomically correct is valid. But I, and, and this, this Tumblr account has been around for years. And I, every, every time I'm on Tumblr, which, uh, is, it's never, I don't, I don't, tumble. uh, every, every time I've seen it, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable because it's so disrespectful. Yeah. Why? Like, who do you think you are? Uh, so yeah, I, for me, I, I, I think Campbell is in the right, you know, they took his art and put it out there for everybody to see and tried to get buzz about it. Yeah. So, um, I guess to start with the whole, you know, obviously I agree with everything that's been said about the whole, um, quote unquote, fixing someone else's art. I think that that's a, a pretty, a pretty disrespectful thing to do. And it's like, not, you know, like Marco said, right? Like we, we're here every week and we critique people's work and everything like that. And we've said people suck and you know, whatever, like we're not above reproach in that regard. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I think when you go to the, the effort of rather than like criticizing his body of work or, or offering commentary about what about it, um, doesn't vibe with you and rather being like here i fixed it um it mm. carries an air of pretension uh that mm. i think makes it more offensive to a creative right i think superiority yeah there is like a superiority complex there where it's like i think it's easy to listen it's easier anyway to listen to criticism of like oh you suck or i don't like your art or you know you know you you're a pervert or whatever rather than like oh here i i fixed your bad art it's fixed now you know um when you're a professional artist and this is your job and this is some person on the internet who wanted to you know um offer a hot take about work you did in 2009 for some internet clout um and, and i think to the whole him responding thing it went viral so he was probably seeing it a lot getting tagged in it a lot and i definitely agree that famous people shouldn't weaponize their followings to attack randoms on the internet that's not a cool thing to do you have a certain amount of social clout in that situation where you can really make somebody's life hell um and that's like not a cool thing to do but uh to defend campbell doing this and why i i do think i i err more on the side of siding with with him in this scenario is that like you like just because you don't have a following on the internet like people think that they can just shout whatever they want at famous people and that like it doesn't matter and and that like they're not real people right and because he's rich and has a career or whatever that you can say whatever the fuck you want to him and he has no right to respond is not fair right like he's a person 
And I'm sure that it hurts his feelings when people talk shit about his art or whatever. And him having to like see it be a topic of conversation for multiple days, blowing up his fucking Twitter mentions and shit. You know, his friends in the industry commenting on it and and whatever. He probably felt like he needed to say something. And like rather than being polite about it, if he was pissed off, like like let's be real. If any one of the people in this if somebody came for you like that, would you just be like, oh, whatever, right? Like, no, you'd be pissed off. And you'd fucking say some shit about it. And it's not like he came out and was like, go attack them. Fuck this motherfucker. Like, he did what they did to him back. And tough shit, right? Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's how I feel. Like, talk shit, get hit, right? Like, if you can't take it, don't dish it out. Um, Nobody asked you to do that. I I saw this and I, I was viscerally, like, upset because... Again, like in my opinion, the most disrespectful thing you can do to an artist's work is this. I don't think you could possibly be any more disrespectful. Like, even if you tore it up, even if you shredded it, even if you burned it, you didn't so wholly reject it that you made it into something else. That's that's crazy. Like, how could you possibly think that that's okay to do? And what really got to me about this whole conversation is the other side of the of, of the coin is saying, oh, well, you know, he's punching down. And if you're going to draw women this way, then you deserve to, you know, take your lumps. It's like, no, 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 no. First of all, that whole punching down argument doesn't apply in situations where someone is attacking you. And, you know, the Internet has been around a long time and there is a long history of idiots attacking people online who are famous. Um, we know about this. We've seen the, 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 the Twitter accounts that have had to be closed because of, of hateful comments and things like that. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Um, what's her name from Star Wars? Uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Thank you. Thank you. Um, she had Daisy to, Ridley she, got off Instagram too. Right. Yeah. All these people. When it's a woman, when it's a person of color, when it's a person of a marginalized group, we always rally to their defense. When it's not, it's fair game. That's not the way that this works. J. Scott Campbell is as human as they are. He's as human as Kelly Marie Tran is. And he doesn't deserve to be attacked because he put out a piece of art that he was paid to do that you just simply don't like. Mm -hmm. If it offends you, that's your right. You, you can be offended. And no one can take that away from you. And we can have the conversation about whether or not this kind of thing should exist at all if you want to. But what you can't do is fuck with someone else's creation. That's never cool to do. That That's awful to do. We have had conversations about uh, one, one creator. I can't remember their name right now. And it's frankly not worth remembering who had, who happened to have a, a, an original piece of art <sighs> yeah. of um, it was Ringo. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I was yeah. Christ, and yeah. he he used it. He traced over it and stuff like that. That's crazy. That's horrible. That's awful. You should never do things like that. To me, this is not terribly dissimilar to that. And obviously, in that case, that person was a, a comics professional. This person is not. It doesn't matter. You don't do things like this. And you you don't get the right to say that J. Scott Campbell can't respond, petty as you might think it is, because he's as human as the person who did this. Yeah, like they and hurt his feelings. Exactly. You know, like, God forbid, the guy's human, you know? Right. 
it's it's crazy that people are saying this. Like, who's attacking you? It's because so, if someone's attacking you and you don't respond, then you have all the right in the world to feel that way. But even then, that was your choice. Yeah, his choice, his way of dealing with it is to say, "No, I'm going full force because people are going to know that they don't do this to me." And it's easy to say that when you don't have thousands of people fucking tweeting at you every day, right? Like, how, yeah. Let me look real quick. Like, how many followers does he have? Right? Like, well, the the the, the, the one that I have in front of me has, yeah. Right. So it's like, come on, man. Like, this is a person who, you know, I'm like when this happened, I'm sure he's getting bombarded every fucking day. Like, you know, you don't just because you're famous and have a career in entertainment doesn't give people the right to just attack you. Like, that's not cool. And, you know, and and I'm not like sitting here like saying he's a great guy or whatever. Right. Like, if you want to criticize whatever, but like he's a human being. And like, I just I don't like the way that we like use the Internet to dehumanize other people because like you're not sitting like you wouldn't go up to J Scott Campbell at Comic-Con and be like, here, I fixed your art. Right. Like you wouldn't <laughs> do that. Mo- no, I don't, I don't think most people have the fucking cajoles to go do something like that. And I think my personal like opinion is, yeah, it means balls. Um, if you, <laughs> if you wouldn't say something to someone's face, you shouldn't say it to them on the internet. Yo, can you imagine the uterus you would need in order to like, <laughs> like walk up to somebody and be like, "Look here, there you I, go. I redid it." <laughs> um, so at, to ask for his signature, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and if you go to the, if you look at the thread that he posted this in, you will see a lot of people attacking him for for doing this. Uh, here's one tweet that says. Stop. Don't try to make yourself look sympathetic with, oh, no, I had to take time out of my already busy schedule. But wait, you didn't. You could have. Well, the person said you could have, but you could have ignored it, moved on, not mentioned it, not do all of this work fixing and be an adult, treat it maturely. But nope. Well, you're sitting on the Internet commenting on him. So what bit what why do you have more business to insert yourself into a situation that does not pertain to you than he does to respond to someone who attacked him? I don't understand the way that people think. And it's like because he's white, because he's successful, he has no right to defend himself whatsoever. That's bullshit. Um there's also a couple people commenting about like how they've they're addressing some of the uh, uh, fixing that he does on his end. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, that I was going to mention was in, um, understanding comics, like McLeod mentions, there's like a level of you being able to, uh, iterate and, um, get closer. There's like varying degrees of real realism that you get, that you get to do, mm-hmm. um, and that you can address and the, specifically to the original image, right? Like critique it all you want but i think that there's a level to which you can have that artistic flexibility mm-hmm. to not necessarily make it a um uh, complete form specific like or based in realism where you can have certain things that are accentuated for the purposes of a two-dimensional page you can uh, there are artistic choices that kale mentioned that make him stylistically this artist the same way like milo manara has he's another you know sexy artist guy who but he he, what he does with his art is um uh, translate 
the certain realities of female um, uh, anatomy into like to just like, express that art, right? It, it, that's that's yeah. what it ultimately comes down to. Um, so I think that's been for me the most frustrating to see people react to because they're just like, well, you can't have this original image, so be- that's why this person was non-binary, uh, whatever was uh, justified in correcting the the art because the original was that damning. Well, what you're talking about is artistic expression. Yeah. And that is sacred. To me, when you're talking about creativity, the sacred thing is artistic expression. It cannot be removed from the equation because once you do that, you get to a point where art is meaningless. Art is expression. They're one and the same. So if J. Scott Campbell wants to draw sexy women all day, that's his right. And he doesn't have to do it in a way that specifically appeals to you and your specific sensibilities. He can do it in whatever way that he wants and you have to accept it or you don't have to accept it. You don't have to look at it, but it it exists and it has every right to exist alongside everything else. Yeah. And I think like, like Kale said, there's like a conversation to be had right about this. Like there's a conversation to be had about like how art portrays women. And like, like I'm not, we're not here saying that like, there's like that there's no room for that. And that that's absurd. It's just like, this is not how you do that. And this is not like this image was not made, at least in my mind, right? I don't think it was made with the intent to start a good faith conversation about the portrayal of, of women in art, right? It was this this whole, quote, fixing bad comic art, like, you know, Tumblr. Like, I feel like it exists to get a rise. It exists to, like, give a hot take, to hope that something goes viral, to get attention, to get, to piss off a comic creator that you don't like. And, and you know, and, like, at the end of the day, right, like, if that's how you want to spend your time, I guess that's your prerogative too. Um, but like, I, I don't like that. And I think it's a shitty way to operate, you know? And like, you know, if you don't like J Scott Campbell's original drawing, whatever, right. More power to you. That's okay. Um, I think there's a, there's a respectful way to, to have that conversation and raise that point that doesn't involve, uh, this kind of like holier than thou, you know, like, oh, I'm up here on my high horse and, and you you don't get it. You know, it's like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just feel like it's uh, I feel like the the offensiveness of the image even is like something that I feel like is kind of overblown. Like the, you know, the horse it is the her like, you know, pushing up her tits and everything. It's like that's an extremely uh sexualized thing. Like whatever. Right. Like that's very hypersexual. Okay. He's a pinup artist. Right. Like, why? Like, you know what I mean? Right? Like, that's the thing is, like, like someone like, you know, I don't know, like, like Jessica Negri, right, is like a cosplayer and she takes a lot of, she does a lot of, like, cosplay that's revealing and bikinis and those kinds of things. And it's like, okay, so what? Like, that's fine. Like, and, and if you don't like that or if you don't feel like that's something that should be, uh, you know, on the front page of Spider-Man, like, all right, like we can have that dialogue. I'm, I'm totally down with that. But like, have the dialogue. You know, like, I don't know. We don't have to like. Oh, this is good. Yeah, uh, Marco just shared a tweet. This is in the thread. There's actually somebody who like found specific cosplayers who did it and are sitting in the exact pose, 
and people are like, oh, that's not human anatomy. Like, no one sits like that, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, you could. And J. Scott Campbell claims that he knows someone who sat that way, and he found it to be very cute, and it was memorable, and that was what he was channeling in this photo or whatever. And it's like, you don't know that. Like, that that totally could be exactly the case. And also... These fucking rule. The cosplays? Yeah, they are very good. Um. And I thought it was interesting, like, there was somebody who replied who was like, well, it still looks uncomfortable as fuck, and someone said, it's a pose. You don't hold it for a long time. And seeing that this <laughs> is a comic book cover, not a page where actual stuff happens, maybe that's the fucking point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what I, like that. I, I, I've been bursting to say. The, the, the comic book cover does not exist for any other reason than to sell a comic. MJ, Mary Jane, is not a human. She's not a real person. She's a character. He's drawing her. He's trying to get you to buy the cover, to look at it. That's the point. He was paid to do that. What does it matter how comfortable she looks if the point is that that cover exists to sell that book? By the way, spoiler alert, in the comic itself, she don't do that. Just in case you were curious. And by the way, go ahead, Kel. I was going to say, in that comic, she's written by John Romita Jr., so she's she doesn't look anywhere near as sexy. So <laughs> exactly, forget it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, and also, it's like it's a little odd to me. Something that uh, that Campbell pointed out in his uh, breakdown, where he was like circling all the things that they had changed and kind of giving commentary. Um, something that's probably worth pointing out is this came out in two thousand nine, right? And I'm not even like talking about like ah attitudes about how women are portrayed and whatever, like that's changed. Sure. But I think the thing that's interesting to me that he pointed out is that uh, what she's wearing is actually was very in fashion at the time. A lot of like young fashionable women um, dressed that way. The whole like torn up clothes was very hot at that point. We all remember the time of the whale tail. Like that was, that was part of the fashion lexicon at that point. And Mary Jane is a model. So, who is, by the way, point. sexy. Right. That's part of point. her character is that That's... she is overtly sexy. Oh, my God. The thing, the thing I can't get over in this um, is the leg. The That she, it's like, you know, the one is in the air. Campbell's is in the air. And then the fix is just, it's just down. Yeah. I, what? Like, so... Shit, they didn't just like move a couple of things around. They like they had to like make that leg. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that that to me, I just can't I can't even get my head around. Like like why you would spend time doing that. <laughs> oh, it's not very good. Don't look very close. Okay, so why'd you Yeah, but you're but you're critiquing his his artwork down to the leg. Well, he's a you, professional <laughs> though. Right. So that makes it okay. Wild. I don't know. Come on, guys. All right. So um, obviously, we're all inflamed about this. This is a this is a hot button story this week. Um, I do want to point out that unfortunately, this has brought out the comic skaters in droves who have come out to support J. Scott Campbell and court him. He has made it clear that he's not a part of any hate group. He has no hate for anyone. This is not about that. The fact that the person identifies as non-binary was not the reason he did this. That had nothing to do with it. He's made that statement clear and concisely several times. And he didn't say anything like that in his statement, right? Like, no, he, he names them, but that's their username, right? Like, it's not, yeah, people trying to read into that side of it. That's not, you know, you're projecting. 
he even tried to shorten their name a few times to get away from that he claims mm-hmm. um but the fact of the matter is that you, if you're a comic skater you still suck whether you support J. Scott Campbell <laughs> or not, that hasn't changed. Yeah, we, fuck you. Yeah, that's that's still what it is. Um, hey, don't listen to our fucking podcast. <laughs> listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we, we want to hear your thoughts about this issue. Obviously, the conversation about the way that women's bodies are portrayed in comics is one that continues to go on. And sprung out of this situation but this is not a situation that's based in that so if you want to have that conversation write in and talk about it but if you want to have the conversation about whether or not what nbf did is appropriate write in to talk about that as well of course you can get us on social media at the comics pals wherever it is that you're listening to this make sure that you leave us a rating or review if that happens to be youtube hit that subscribe button it's free like the video share it with your friends drop a comment there all those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you support uh victor dandridge you look him up on google you'll find all his stuff um Van- i believe it was vantageinhouse.com you create comics.com ucr8 comics.com i believe is the website we'll have links uh, in the description yeah he's he's awesome uh we'll have our links to our discord server in the description as well click that to come hang out with us each and every day or as often as you want to uh, we've got cool stuff going on over there. Check out our reviews from this week. Uh, we did Heroes Reborn, number one. We did Eve, number one. And we did The Swamp Thing, number three. And then on Wednesday, you can check out our reviews for The Silver Coin 2, Geiger 2, and... Uh, time before time. Time after time? Time before time. Time, time, before time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do that in my own mind all the time. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> and all of our other stuff. Go check it out. Uh, plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about uh, what you think about this whole thing or, I don't know, whatever else you got on your mind these days. Whatever you're uh, reading, watching, playing, um, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, you can also get some more content from me. Um, <clears throat> my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, we just played our uh, album release party last night over on uh, twitch.tv slash Harvey's House. The uh, archive of the show is going to be up for like another two weeks. And then after that, eventually we're going to throw it on our own YouTube channel. So if you missed it and you want to check it out, um, it'll be available for you in one of those two places. And of course, you can get our debut album, If Me Dies, Me Dies, wherever you get your music. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can also go check out the podcast that I host on Mondays. Check it out. Kale. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at killward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Um, I don't want to hear from you at all unless you're playing Pokemon <laughs> Snap and you have great Pokemon Snaps to snap me. Show me your snaps. Whoa. <laughs> Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Inamoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about Milo Minara. I really like his work. Of course you do, you little pervert. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, as for me, you can get me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about Resident Evil 8 because my ass has been scared and I need a support group for that game. <laughs> With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. I like to imagine that the comic skaters are like, this is a sexy image. Hispanics shouldn't be in comics. Like, where is that through line?
Whoa. <laughs> <laughs>